Hello, and thank you for downloading another lost episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. This is John Wilson, host of the show, and uh, this is episode 40, no, 38, covering Amazing Spider-Man 50. Uh, just to let you know that I had a little bit of a mix-up in my numbering of episodes. There are actually going to be several lost episodes. Um, this is 38. 39 is going to cover issue 51. 40 is going to cover issue 52. And then the email episode will be uh, issue uh, episode 41. And the new episodes, brand new episodes recorded with a brand new panel, will begin with episode 42. So there's one extra episode in there more than I had said last time. So um, those preliminaries out of the way. Thank you for downloading this episode. This was recorded five years ago. Um, there's a little bit of a... Re-record gaff that I explain in the episode, but without further ado, here is Amazing Spider-Man Classics. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web any size, catches seeds just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Hello and welcome to another brand new episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. This is episode 38 of the show where we're going to be talking about one of the most important issues of Spider-Man ever to be published. That is Amazing Spider-Man issue 50. And here with me in the studio, as always, to talk about this issue is my good friend Donovan Grant. Hello, Don. Hello again. And Josh Bertoni. Hey, Josh. Hey, just biding my time until the Mayans end us all next year. Yeah. Um, there's, okay, so there's a little bit of a thing going on. We have already recorded this part of the episode before, um, but there was a recording failure. So... We have most of the previous recording, but not this first part. About, I don't know, eight pages into the issue, you're going to hear a transition where we just go over to the previous recording. So I'm saying all that to say, if we make a comment twice that I do not catch in the edits, that's why. It's just been a little bit of time since we last recorded and we may have forgotten what our, what our comments exactly were. But also, in this episode... To talk about this issue, not only this issue, but this whole trilogy of issues, 50 through 52, is none other than 20-minute long box star Stephen Lacey. Hello, it's great to be back. And I can see sunlight outside, which means I'm not going to be hallucinating baby Spider-Man crawling all over the ceiling again like I did last time, which was only about a year ago. We totally had a joke set up for how we were going to introduce Steve on this episode, but it's been Oh five my years. god, yes, it was the Steve Ditko thing. Because you ended yeah. the last episode by going, we're getting oh, yeah. Steve, we're getting Steve. <laughs> yeah, that episode has just dropped as we're recording this. It's it's early October, we're trying to get all this done before we get the episode out. So, um, happy Halloween a little bit early. Ooh. Yeah. My two-year-old son is going to dress up as Superboy, I think. And my daughter's going to be Supergirl, and we're going to. Uh, my wife's going to be Lana. It's going to be great Halloween. It's going to be fun. Anyways, this is not a Halloween episode of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. This is Spider-Man Fifty. Spider-Man No More. I, I wonder how that's going to hold up, because there, there are about another five hundred and fifty, and definitely no more issues of Amazing Spider-Man. Um, so who's going to fill it if Spider-Man is no more? 
Well, Maybe they can get a half, uh, half, half black, half Hispanic kid to do it. Maybe this is where Miles Morales begins. Someone should invent SJW so we can blame them. <laughs> was Miles Morales a thing at this point? He was. In time? It was 2010. Yeah, I, I, I just. Yeah. Okay. He just come because we just had the death of Ultimate Spider-Man that summer. Oh yeah, so he's just starting. Well, we are um, we are excited to get into this big issue, and um, Stephen has the recaps. So just a couple of bits of intro. This is uh, April eleventh, nineteen sixty-seven. Whenever this issue hits the stands, and it has a July nineteen sixty-seven cover date. Do you want to describe the cover, Steve, or should I? Uh, I have a note for this. The cover features Peter Parker walking dejectedly towards the camera, whilst the background of the image is a giant picture of Spidey, his back to the reader, glancing over his shoulder at the receding Peter. The what? <laughs> um, it, it, obviously, uh, it ripped off the, uh, the 2008 Incredible Hulk film. Shameless of me to do that. Mm. Can, can we say lack of backgrounds? Because I'm not sure uh, vaguely parallel lines really cuts it for me as a background. I mean, that doesn't bother you, does it? Would you say? Uh, no, I'm just trolling, which is a thing that people do online in 2011. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, surely that'll be done by 2016. <laughs> um, uh, I, 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 I dig the red. I do like the red. It is one of the best uh, covers of Spider-Man. It does so much with so little on there. And uh, there's a reason why this is such an iconic... In- iconic? There's the reason why this is such an iconic comics image. Yeah, I love this cover. I mean, this you see this and it stays in your mind as much as the trash cans they were going to be talking about in the issue itself. They're, they're two um, hugely memorable images of Spider-Man. This is um, this is the uh, the image of like Peter and Betty with Spider-Man's shadow standing between them, only times a thousand. Because she's not there. She's not there, but it's that same kind of like that same kind of really cool. She's off panel with Ned Leeds doing stuff. Doing stuff. Like if, in in the widescreen version of the cover, you could see Betty and Ned getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> Jazzy Johnny Romita turned that in and stands like you know walloping web snappers. We'll be ruined if we turn this in. And he just like uses the scissors and cut. He's like and there. and Dicko, well, you know, like like the most like a. Uh, Direct because usually the covers are you know Spidey fights a supervillain, but this is more directly about like the inner workings of the comic book itself. So th- it kind of means more in that way because like oh wow this this is kind of playing for keeps. There's no villains here. There's no like will Spidey stop the Smasher, which is later on. Um, and I don't want to sound like a pretentious art school student, but like you know like obviously it's symbolism that like Spider-Man's is so much bigger than Peter Parker on the cover. How can he walk away from such a massive responsibility? find out how actually yeah that's a really good point is how could he walk away from such a responsibility but he's doing it (laughs) how can he walk away from such a massive responsibility and repeatedly walk away from it like certain (laughs) times after that this isn't even the first time he's quit this is like number three (laughs) (laughs) well well, the last time peter parker quit i was uh, guesting on the show yeah Uh, we're just gonna have you on every time peter quits Mm-hmm. So Steve Lacey's going to be a regular co-host. <laughs> <laughs> like he also quit in issue three, like for like half an issue when Doctor Octopus threw him out a window. We didn't know that Lacey existed Pete, back then, so that's why he wasn't on that episode. Peter Parking, Peter Parker's uh, quitting Spider-Man is a bit like the Thing turning human in early issues of the Fantastic Four. It just happens a lot in those early issues, then uh, very rarely uh, ever since. 
Oh, I like the Fantastic Four. I know. And then in Original Sin, he's like, what, Johnny? You're the reason why, like, I can't turn back in the Ben Grimm because you stopped one of my transformations years ago. And for some reason, like, I turned into human 20 times since then. Therefore, <laughs> Original Sin has not happened yet. It's 2011. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Shall I take us into the body of the book? If we're yes, done with I, think the we ha- I think we have spent our load on the cover quite a bit, so let's go in and see what happens inside the book. God, I hope not. That will never get a 10.0 at the CGC scale. Uh, <laughs> God bless. Stan the Man Lee and Johnny Ring-a-Ding Ramita invite you to join the capricious company of Mickey DeMeo Inca and Sam Rosen Letterer. Hang loose, hero. It's action time. What say we skip any long introductions? If one glance doesn't tell you where this little caper's at, then turn in your web shooter on the way out. With a crack in the sock, Spider-Man quickly falls an office robbery in classic Marvel full-scale splash page style. I mean, Zock is a pretty decent sound effect, but it is no wank. <laughs> what can be? <laughs> so if... If we can't tell where this caper's at, we have to turn in our web shooters. Is it possible that Peter couldn't tell what this was all about, and that's why he quit being Spider-Man? He turned in his web shooter at Stan Lee's suggestion? My God. The metatextual references at that point. I gotta say, like, you know, like, like, if you can't tell what's going to happen, then quit. Like, I, I can't tell he's going to quit in this, in this, in this image. In which... It's called Spider-Man no more! <laughs> Tis true. Um, anyway, continuing, one of the raiders fires a gun at Spidey, but the dialogue says he flips back, despite the art showing him flipping forward, and either way, he dodges the bullet. <laughs> the crooks pile on him, but by focusing his chi into his fist... Wait, that doesn't sound right. Uh, the crooks pile on him, but by using the hand-to-hand combat skills learned on a six-year-old to see around the world, studying with the world's greatest fighter... No, that doesn't still sound right either. Hmm. Using the power of the yellow... Su- no... <laughs> it's amazing spider strength spider-man breaks free i'm literally reading this for the first time since we recorded five years ago i'm just like what the fuck am i going with these jokes he gathers the crooks together rips the door off its hinges and with a scrack he crushes it down over their heads entrapping them that's martha, awesome martha why did you say that name <laughs> the payroll cl- oh wait no that hasn't happened yet martha the payroll clerk wants to thank spider-man but a prick in a blue suit no, hold on. That's not quite right. Martha, the payroll clerk, wants to thank Spider-Man, but prick in a blue suit, the payroll clerk holds her back as he's a daily bugle reader. And apparently, they aren't Spidey's biggest fans. Spidey heads off up the outside of the building, ruminating over the bad press he's got from Jameson's editorials. He swings to where he has stashed his civilian clothes and changes back to Peter. I've done a couple of pages there. I'm assuming you guys have comments. Oh, no, you're flowing. You're flowing. Yeah, this this opening scene is is so much just fighting. I mean, there's not a whole lot to it. I, I do like that we get both sides of the public perception with this couple. We have the the friendly woman who's thankful for being saved, and we have the you know asshole man who doesn't like Spider Man, even though he just saved his life. And I, I think this is a great fight scene, and I think, I love the shot of him like kind of just pushing them away, and then like the thing with the door is just like. Really, really inventive. Wait, so. so are we saying that Spider-Man saved Martha? <laughs> well, no, Amy we're not saying there. that, because in 2011 we have no reason to say that. But Martha <laughs> was in trouble and he saved her. We absolutely have a reason to say it. What? <laughs> I don't think we can ever do any podcast show without, without mentioning that. My favorite panel on this is the bottom one on page two, which is what I like to think of as the pinball panel, where you've got every single extendable limb on Spider-Man's body making contact with someone's chin or 
chest or leg <laughs> or something. It's a... They don't extend, they I dangle. Um, yeah, I just it's a really fun, energetic panel. It, I think this is most, one of the most energetic fight scenes that Ramita has done in his run up to this point. Like it, it's really, really like action packed. It's really energetic. Like it's really frenetic. It doesn't really stop to take a look at what's going on. Like, every panel, something's like something actiony is happening. And, and you, th- you might think that'd be simple, but like sometimes there's posturing, sometimes there's dialogue, sometimes there's you know blast you Spider Man. But here it's like they try to kill him, they miss, he hits them hard. Um, like he he. He rips these people apart without breaking. And I like how Spider-Man is portrayed as being so overtly powerful that he doesn't, he's not even kind of worrying about these guys. He's, he's almost not even trying. And that's actually kind of more rare than you would imagine in the early days, I think. And the, the use of anatomy with Romita, I mean, everyone is in motion in every single panel, with the exception of the you know door-cracked hoods in the bottom. But Spider-Man, his body is, I mean, Romita's just <laughs> killing so it. so good. Yeah. Well, in order to make the fall seem better, Spidey's got to be on the top of this game. And, you know, considering there's no named villain, there's no recurring characters. I'm assuming Martha never comes back. Um, she's the only named character. There's a lot of Marthas. In Spider- there's like Martha Connors. There's Martha Jameson, maybe? No. There's Marla. Marla. Yeah. God, it's just like Superman and Batman. They've both got a mother called Martha. Can you believe that? Um, but considering the, the lack of all the things that you would expect from a classic Spidey fight, this one really pops and zings. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, like, I mean, because I think that, like, personally, Ditko is is a more of a dynamic action artist than Ramita generally, but I think Ramita's, like, pulling out all the stops, and he's giving him a run for his money in this scene. He knows yeah. this is issue 50, he knows this is big, and he's, he's bringing his A game. He's also been on the title for, like, a while, so he's been able to get, like, a feel for you know, uh, how to do, like, a Spidey fight versus how to do a Daredevil fight, because Daredevil yeah, was, was the most yeah, for this. Yeah, this finishes it's, a year. This is his 12th issue. Oh, man. I, I never, I literally never thought about that just till just, just now, in 2016. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> I love him. <clears throat> um, uh, shall I continue? Yeah, minutes later. Uh, returning to his apartment, Harry Pubes Osborne tells Pete that once again, Aunt May has got lonely and comes down with a near-fatal illness. Because of his hair, they're short and curlies. Uh, I, I clearly forgot about that. That came out of nowhere. That is, um... How can you forget about it when this is the first uh, time fine. you're hearing this? <laughs> well done. I'll, I'll shut up. Um, yeah, uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Pubes Osborne tells Peter that once again, Aunt May has got lonely and decided to come down with a near-fatal illness. Some people just can't cut those apron strings. Peter speeds across town on his motorbike, and if you just uh, take a look at what's going on here, and I'm going to uh, provide you with the Marvel version of a Flash fact. Quicksilver fact, it's like the Flash, but slightly grumpier and dies pointlessly at the end of the film. Which hasn't happened yet. <laughs> it hasn't happened. Neither has the first one. Uh, so since Joe Casada has been editing, oh my Gosh, god, this is old. Me, <laughs> he's no longer EIC, is he? Um, since Joe Casada has been editor in chief of Marvel, no Marvel characters have been allowed to ride a motorbike without a helmet, and somehow this has been a bit less controversial than Nick Fury and Wolverine getting Nickerette patches. Mm. Well, you know, the the letter writers did have a problem with this, and we're going to talk about this actually in this issue. The the, the helmet uh, right. usage is is a problem. He has, he has spider sense, though. He doesn't need a helmet. You know, <laughs> you are totally up. right. Mm. But still. At the Parker House. Uh, oh. No. Yeah, sorry, I, no. 
That is one of my continuity pet peeves. And Wilson and Bailey, if you're ever listening, I am putting both of you on notice right now. <laughs> like, for the rest of Classics, you need to remember that up until the Roger Stern run, they're living in Anna Watson's house. And Aunt May's house from Amazing Fantasy 15 is abandoned and decrepit until the Roger Stern run. Allow me to edit okay. on the fly. At the easily Since I've mis- actually already recorded some of those episodes, <laughs> I'm just going to have to insert an argument with the computer no, discussing just, this point. J- just drop in the soundbite of Don going, no, no. I'm not Don! <laughs> oh, well, I haven't got things coming up. <laughs> wait, wait, since which issue? Uh, since Peter moved out, when, when when Peter moved in the Harry's, Aunt May moved in the Aunt Anna's, and even Dan Slott gets this wrong. He was going through like Aunt May and Dan Uncle Ben's house. He was <laughs> going through like Aunt May and Uncle Ben's house. In fact, it was around the time that we originally recorded this. He's like, "Oh, Mary Jane, look at all the memories here. Why? Here's where Doctor Octopus, you know, like had tea with Aunt May. Ha ha." And I'm like, "No, that was next door, Slott." Yeah. <laughs> it was. Or it will be in four issues. So, yeah, no, you and Bailey, you need to get that right, or I will be angry and write emails into classics. Well, allow me to amend my synopsis on the fly, uh, because I only wrote it a couple of weeks ago, at most. (laughs) At the easily mistaken for the Parker house. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That is actually the domicile of Ms. Anna Watson. (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, Doc Brodwell is medically sedated Aunt May before getting a bodyguard to hide the bars of medicine in a sailing bag just in case May turns into the world's biggest pop star just before she kicks the bucket. What? Was, what? what, the, what was that a Michael Jackson dying joke? Oh. <laughs> is that what you call that? <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know what that was. I wrote these things five years ago and I'm literally reading them for the first time. And I'm thinking. I am so glad that you didn't do any prep for this because these reactions are hilarious. <laughs> this is a weird uh, episode. <laughs> Peter mopes about how being Spider Man prevented him from being there for her. Anna, Angel of Mercy, Watson, guilt. <laughs> Apparently, I gave everyone uh, inverted comma middle names. <laughs> yes, you did. I was Anna, for some reason. Anna, Angel of Mercy, Watson, guilt Peter into never being away from a phone until May gets better. Peter then has the most protracted monologue ever. Part one is on the doorstop. He then shuts up until he's on his bike driving home with his head down, thank heavens for Spidey sense. Ah! Yes! <laughs> I the he's lap. not even looking at the road! He's like, he's catching Pokemon or something! But <laughs> You can't do that! You'll never be able to catch Pokemon in real life. There you anyway, go. So, so part two, he's in, he's in the middle of his speech whilst he's driving with his head down, and then he waits until he's back at his apartment before finishing his speech. Quick Spidey fact check, is that his apartment, or can we just assume, you know, it's, he pays rent for it, it's sort of his, even though it's not. It's Harry's place, Harry's paying for it, right? Oh god, he's not even paying rent, I got that wrong. No, he's not. He, he's just Harry said he would fit the bill for the rent. <laughs> anyway, Harry's lonely. Let, let me pause there for a moment, just in case we've got anything to say about these few panels, especially that really long one. They're not at ESU, they're another school. <laughs> well, I, I, I love Peter being like, oh, if only I was Spider-Man, I totally would have been by Aunt May's side. And, you know, not like a normal college student who, like, you know, normal college student. Like, he could have been at the coffee bean, you know, when this happened to Aunt May. He could have been on a date with Gwen or Mary Jane, or he could have been, you know, like, listening to, like, you know, Harry show him his bug collection, you know, like, as he tried to, like, kill him. If I, only I wasn't getting okay. laid at you with her, if only... Okay, yeah. hi. It's the 60s. It's the... It's 67, the summer of love. I wouldn't... Uh, no, I yeah. wasn't there. 
Oh, gee, Peter, I don't know about this. My dad said that drugs are bad. Oh, come on, Harry. (laughs) A little bit of Mary Jane never hurt anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Peter's the the (laughs) drugie. A little bit of Gwen never hurt anyone either. Eh, Harry? Eh? I'm fly on Gwendy. Oh, man. (laughs) Now the flash is out of the way, you can finally date that girl. I'm not sure how old I was when my mom died. That's just Marvel editorial changing things. <laughs> I think my dad's the Green Goblin. <laughs> just say Oi Glavin as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, wow, Harry, you cool. haven't even taken a hit of anything yet. Why are you having a freak out? <laughs> <laughs> He's just that the next morning, friend. Harry Osborne's found naked face down on ESU's lawn. <laughs> <laughs> Actual reality, act up, fight AIDS. Man, we are stretching these muscles. <laughs> Quick, someone take the comics code off already off this book. <laughs> what an okay, image. ignoring Harry's little goblin on the SU campus. Let's uh, let's see what happens after his test that he takes. Um, oh, is that a hint that I should go back to my synopsis? A little bit of a hint, but you know, friendly one. Um, okay, so. The next day, Peter sits an exam at college, moderated by Professor Hashtag Spider Island Warren. I think that was a contemporary reference. Yes, yes it was. Yes. <laughs> Harry, artificially aged to have the face of an 80-year-old, noticed that Peter was off his game during the exam. And the only way you could know that is because he was looking at Peter's answers and copying them from his own. <laughs> uh, Warren holds Peter back to warn him that his grades are slipping. As he leaves the classroom, Gwen, no pupil Stacy, invites Peter to a party at her house that evening, but the distracted Peter declines. Walking across campus, Peter again muses on how his life as Spider-Man is playing havoc with his personal life. What is he wearing? I was actually doing serious. Is he wearing like a raincoat or something? Under the raincoat, the, that sweater. Oh, yeah, yeah. What is that? This is the one I, thing I remember from five years ago that we called I, a pube sweater. <laughs> it, it, it's made of the uh, finest weave of... Um, I, I think it's Russian granny thatch. Osborne hair? Yeah. Okay. It, it, it's 80-year-old it's, it's aged pubic hair shaved off of uh, some peasant who um, lives on the edge of Siberia. You know, if I ever meet Stanley, I will never tell him about Amazing my Classics because I can't bring my heart to break his. No, we think of you and John Romita. If you feel like mentioning it, my Fantastic Four podcast that I'm thinking about doing at the time of recording. Well, I don't know. You'll sure have to be out for me to do that. <laughs> Well, did, I did, reckon by the time this episode sees like I could get 190 episodes out. <laughs> <laughs> Keep it flying, boys. It's coming out by Halloween 2011, Stephen. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> um, anyways, uh, the comic. So, yeah, what, where are Gwen's eyes? Well, okay, I, I think I said On Peter's ass. Oh! <laughs> oh. <laughs> High five! And, and, and wondering also what that shirt is that he's wearing. In my in my in my essential, I see her eyes perfectly fine. They are kind of slanted, but like I, I can see her iris, I can see her pupils. Like, in the scan of the comic that I'm pretty sure is the DVD one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't see any of that. She's just doing that thing, you know, when you sort of is roll your eyes like and you can see the white. I, think, I, I think, should I send think, you I think a scan of this thing because I, I, I'm in Marvel Unlimited. Um, I I do see eyes, but like. Those things are recolored. Uh, back at home, Peter ruminates on how... What? What the hell? Hello, it's me, it's Steve from the future. Who is this? Josh? Don? John, is, is yeah. that you? Steve, are you okay? 
I, I have to warn you guys, I'm from five years in the future, from 2016. I have to warn you guys of something terrible that's going to happen between now and then. We already know about the Libyan terrorists. We're going to wear bulletproof vests. No, Is it our kids? Isn't it going to be done about our kids? It's not that. There's a Phantom Stranger series that's written by Tante Dio and it's shit. I thought you were warning about Brexit or something. <laughs> what, what, a Phantom Stranger solo series? What do you think this is, the 70s? I actually Marvel, didn't know about that. Marvel are going to give Howling Commanders of S.H.I.E.L.D. another go. Why? It was the worst thing they ever published in the 2000s that wasn't written by Bill Jemis. They're going to cancel Fantastic Four because of a, a grudge between Fox. Uh, well, I don't think anyone on this call cares about the Fantastic Four at this point in their history. Yes, yeah, no one knows. The Fantasticast at the And now I must return to the future and try and save the world from the after effects of Dan DeDio's Phantom Stranger. Lacey, come back! Lacey! Well, that was fucking weird. Where he's going, he doesn't need roads. My God. Yeah, because you he can't catch Pokemon helped. when you drive. Or, or, or at any other point, unless you've got your Game Boy with you. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and no other system. Okay, I don't think anyone was using Game Boys in 2011. It was like uh, Nintendo uh, yes, is the same. Game Boy Advances, yeah. Game Boy Advances, absolutely. Really? Still? Yeah. Yeah. I, I was playing Game Boy Advances in high school. Yeah, but 2011! They were Nintendo DS. Okay, I, th- I thought you said that wasn't out yet. I was just heard you. Uh, DS, is, DS was out, but people were still using Game Boy Advances. Back at home, Keith <laughs> ruminates on how he had to turn down the job with Norman Goblin Pubes Osborne, as he would have to work evenings, and he needs to keep his nights free to be Spider-Man. Turning on the TV, he is confronted by J. Jonah Hitler Mustache Jameson, who is once again challenging people to prove that Spider-Man isn't a menace. Jameson declares that Spidey must be hunted and unmasked, giving an idea to both Sergei Kravenov and Jean-Michel Dematteis. What I have learned since I wrote this is that his the M stands for Michelle, not Michael. What? Oh, no, 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 that's not true. It's John Mark Dematteis, right? Yes. Yes, you're right. Shit. Is this another Eric Larson's father thing? <laughs> no. Is that <laughs> you lying, filthy... <laughs> this thing has 40 minutes to get to page 6. Giving an idea to both Jean-Marc and Jean-Marc de Matisse. Uh, a reward of $1,000 is offered for the capture of Spider-Man. Peter is shocked. The, the terrible thing is... He means it. He actually means what he says. He sincerely thinks building a wall between the U.S. and Mexico is a valuable use of our nation's resources. <laughs> he sincerely thinks that I'm a threat to society. Yes, Peter Parker, the amazing Spider-Man, whose Spider-Sense warns him of the greatest life-threatening dangers. Can't tell when J. Jonah James is ranting and yelling and eulogizing and creating supervillains for 50 issues. There might be some sincerity behind his actions. He obviously has the proportional emotional retardation of a spider. I thought you were just kidding all, the, all these issues. <laughs> I thought it was just a <laughs> joke. You and your nutty spider slayer. It was actually a spider hugger because he felt I needed more hugs. <laughs> the Black Widow. <laughs> he's like, he hates me far more than I thought he says in that like one panel. It's like, because he's yelling about you on TV. He did that in issue one. He's hiring it's, people it's, 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 it's like... He got the FBI to swear out a warrant against him back in the first issue of the comic. <laughs> he he's hired like murderers to go. He after works him. for Jameson. He can't tell when he's being serious. <laughs> That's how he I, doesn't know him. I want to say about Jameson because looking at this, obviously we're used to the Jameson now, which is a much leaner faced Jameson. I mean, uh, there's a reason why J.K. Simmons is the best comic book casting ever. 
Uh, right. But this sort of bulkier one. I think he'd make a good Gordon. Eyes. I, I, is that how he was depicted in the comics at the time? Or is that like a, a sort of exaggeration to highlight how Peter's feeling about it? Bear in mind, he's, he's wearing that pubic jumper. He's going to be quite hot under the collar. This is <laughs> this is a Ramita Jameson. Ramita, Absolutely. He, he brought in both Peter's and Jameson's faces. Cause it, cause, um, yeah, because that's just kind of artist he is. But I mean, because it's Ramita, it looks classic to me. It doesn't. I don't really. I'm not really seeing anything like different about it. But like, it is a typically Ramita Jameson. I okay. smoke on television. <laughs> that, that really is dated. Oh, and I remember. Um, yeah, I was just thinking that too. And I remember um, when he drew the Spider-Man arc in Daredevil. Jameson was one of the few people from like the Spider-Man book that was in there too. So like, Ramita's been drawing Jameson like since before he was even on ASM. Mm. Oh yeah, that, yeah, it was Aunt May too, right? Peter on May and, and uh, was May in that one? I, think. I don't, rem- I, I I don't, don't remember. It's, it's I know, I know Peter and Jameson were. I know that there was like no Betty, Ned, Liz, Flash though. <laughs> Stanley said, "Don't waste your time with those." <laughs> but um, wasn't there a scene with like Peter with, with Aunt May, like you know, looking like he was masturbating, like you know, grimacing at the television because Jameson was on there in Daredevil? I think. Oh, I do vaguely remember that. I, I, I mostly yeah. remember like. For some reason, everyone thinks that, like, Foggy Nelson is Daredevil, and Foggy, like, completely eats that up. <laughs> of course not, uh, Karen. After all, who could ever defeat Daredevil? Oh, Foggy! Are you Daredevil? Not now, Karen. I can't say anything more about it. And then Matt's like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> <laughs> My friend is a complete idiot. <laughs> and this is from the guy who created his own twin brother. If I'm saying because of that story, that's the story that made him do it. (laughs) God, we're gonna go on a rant if you. No, no. The the reason he created his own twin brother is because Peter frickin' Parker wrote a letter to his law office saying, "Hey, Matt, um, I know you're Daredevil, but don't worry, we're cool." Mm. He wrote that letter as a result of the events in in like that Spider-Man story. Okay, so yes, yes, indirectly, it's a result of that. Just like you know. Other indirect. Okay, like, like, we did talk. About, <laughs> we did about this the, the direct episode before this, or I'm sorry, two episodes before this, like during the crossover. So, like, if, if anybody finds out this show for the first time and is listening chronologically, um, we've we've uh, strained our lungs talking about the inanity of Mike Murdoch. Then again, it does bear repeating because it is really insane. I'm yeah, I'm sure uh, from yellow to red, the Daredevil podcast that you <laughs> published in 2011 oh, will get to it eventually. <laughs> Good, good luck with that, Tyler. Uh, hey, David yeah. Weeder can take it over and change the name. With everything bearing down upon him, Peter has enough. He leaves the house heading out into the rain, convincing himself that his activities as Spider-Man are motivated by a need for thrills and excitement, and that Jonah may be right. Peter enters an alley. He places his Spider-Man costume into a trash can and walks away. Okay, but before he does that, I have to ask you a question. At the bottom of page seven, what is in Peter's hands? Is there anything in Peter's hands? No, there is nothing in Peter's hands. That means he is not carrying his Spider-Man costume, which means he is wearing his Spider-Man costume under his clothing as he goes out into the sad, rainy alleyway. In fact, shall I read the notes that I actually wrote? There's only one thing left to do. Um, Peter is walking the streets of New York, racked with doubt and confusion, the rain beating down upon him. He's not carrying any, a, a, 
He's not carrying any bag. And as he enters the alley and does his jacket, the next panel, well, it's the famous costume in the bin image, which begs the question, did Peter strip off in the alley, climb out of his Spider-Man costume, then get dressed again all in this torrential rainstorm? Looks like Aunt Hypochondriac Protection May might have had a point through all these years. I thought that maybe... Okay, there's a few explanations for this. One is that the costume's inside the jacket, because it's not a very bulky costume. You're right, he, he could have a pouch and escape. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> or yeah. Coat, yeah. Or, yeah. Or, or another sorry, thing coat, is, right. like, you know, it could, it, could, it could be a dichotomy between the dialogue and, like, you know, and, and the arts and stuff like that, because... He could I, be I, walking. He could be walking away. No, that doesn't work. Okay, I was going to say. You never suggest that there'd be a discrepancy between what Stanley writes and what an artist draws. Yeah, it, it almost looks as if he's walking away from it. But the, the, the dialogue in the third panel on page seven indicates that he just, as he's just about to dump it into the. Church. Well, and I was going to say that, like the you know the last um, panel in page seven could be like another angle of the panel in, of in page eight, but that doesn't work because of a few different reasons. Now, was it, was it the iconic image of it in the trash can? Wasn't that the original cover idea? Someone said that. I think that's possible. It would make a good, it has the the space at the top. It would make a good cover. I think that we, I think, uh, Ramita said that once. I think we also talked about that five years ago. (laughs) What, what if, okay, we're trying to figure out how it got in the trash with them. What if he walked there? And he found it already in the trash. Uh, <laughs> Not again. <laughs> He's like, oh, well, I guess that's fate then. <laughs> he wasn't Tom McGuire doing it. In the kind of <laughs> Harry was like cleaning, you know, the house. He's like, what's Peter's? Why does Peter have a Spider-Man costume in his room? Because All I know is Spider-Man sucks, so I'm throwing this out. And then he, Harry's, like, going down, like, outside, like, in the rain, like, lousy Peter can't afford to pay rent, but can afford to buy Spider-Man costumes. Well, this is this a Vin Gonzalez reference? No. Who? He, are no. you suggesting that, um, aren't they throwing the costume out to the more natural reaction to that JMS issue of Spidey, where she comes in and sees Peter half-naked, exhausted on the bed with a Spider-Man costume on, and definitely doesn't think sex pervert? Oh, yeah, in fairness, he was, he was all beaten up, which kind of sensed sens- sens- the, uh, conclusion. Well, and, and Aunt May's had enough, like, clues over the years that she could have put two and two together. Well, yeah, it, it same took an actress to put two and two together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, no, that wasn't a Vin Gonzalez reference, but well done for remembering Vin Gonzalez. Yeah, I no one else remembers him. Even in 2011, he was kind of history, too. He's, he's um, never seen since, like, that, uh, that, like, anthology issue, right? Where Harry beat him up? It was the end of Brand New Day. He came back, and then Harry beat him up and said, I never think about my son. Any other thoughts on this uh, this final scene? Well, I mean, uh, I it's, love it's the... Great. Peter's not wearing to that again. No, he's not. No, I, I, don't, I don't mean to interrupt, but I mean, I mean, we're kind of making fun of it, as we always do with this comic book series. But, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fantastic image. It's, 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 it's such a great, like, you know, idea of, like, an, an, iconic, an iconic costume being being treated in such a disrespectful way by its own creator like mm. that's that's a, that's it's a really it's it's still over 60 years later or i guess 50 um it's still very very effective and um using the knowledge i've gained since we first uh, talked about this with looking at lots and lots of marvel comics from the 60s and 70s i love the uh the cross hatching in the background, something I would never yes. have thought of five years ago. It's very scratchy and loose. We think of cross-hatching, we think of like the 90s when it's all that very meticulous 
um, inking job. But here it's almost as if it's scribbled in, but it's done with the knowledge of exactly where each bit of ink's going and the effect it's going to give. Um, it's fantastically moody and atmospheric. It's a very dark page. It's a very, uh, you know, even the, the position of the camera angle, um, you kind of get the feeling of New York pushing down on you. And it, it, it's mm. absolutely glorious from an art perspective. Yeah, this this evokes the '60s Bashki cartoon very well, which had a very moody noirish, which I loved. Um, it's kind of kind of like kind of that, that '60s blues heroin era of New York, and um, no, yeah, the low angle is a good 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 observation because you see like you know the bottle and the matches on the ground next to the trash can. It's like yeah, everything's above, and like it kind of focuses, you know, the whole idea of Spider-Man as you know something to be kind of just thrown off, tossed away. Mm. Um, and then uh, the other note that I had on this is uh, some of the dialogue or, or the thought balloon, sorry, on this page. I absolutely adore. Um, I was just a young and thinking teenager when I first became Spider-Man. But the years have a way of slipping by, of changing the world about us. And I think that's really important for this 50th issue, because um, at this point in the Marvel Universe, and at least for another six years, the idea is the Marvel Universe has progressed in real time. So... Um, it's been four, four and a half years since Peter became Spider-Man, and he's grown up, and he's gone through that. Uh, and this is before we get the idea of the sliding timescale, of everything being compressed into what... It's a, it normally about 10 or 11 years since the Fantastic Four make their appearance. Isn't that how Marvel sees it, sort of unofficially? Yeah. Uh, well, the thing had a bar mitzvah, because it had been 13 years since he became the thing. That was Aaron Slotsman. Wait a second, what are you, what are you saying? It's, it's another decade until they show up? According to the timeline, how long have they been the Fantastic Four? Oh, oh, okay, okay, yeah. yeah. Because Which, it's like, in, Spider-Man's in, timeline is like you know, like 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 give or give or take fifteen years. Yeah, and, it, and, and they and it's been reckoned. Whenever they do start playing with time for a while, what they're going to do is continue to act like everything's moving in real time, but no one's getting any older. Like referring to events as happening. 1967 calendar date even though it's 1975 um yeah but no of course people are not 10 years older and there aren't many um sort of moments that pin comics to an actual specific date i can bring um, one up right now like uh in asm 122 he's like to, to jameson well if it isn't mr charisma 1973 <laughs> but more specifically, there's um, the Ramona Fraydon issue of Fantastic Four, which I think is Jerry Conway's first. It takes place New Year's Eve, nineteen uh, coming into 1973. And they also talk to Nixon in that comic. <laughs> there, there are a few talking to Nixons, but um, yeah, it, it's very rare to be incredibly specific. This <laughs> and the Captain America like comic where Nixon fights Captain America. <laughs> which is also the ending of Black Dynamite. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I absolutely love that. Uh, what, 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 what another, image, sorry, go ahead. Just another comparison, because at the time of recording this, I believe Teenage Wasteland was still an ongoing concern. Um, but Ultimate Peter Parker, who's 160 issue career of Spider-Man, took, takes place charitably over 18 months because you get to the halfway point, which is the Hobgoblin arc. And they go, it's only been nine months. And everyone goes, what? Yeah, that's insane to me. I don't uh, know why Ben did that. Yeah. It, it, he, yeah, because they had like multiple senior skip days and... The, he never graduated. the school years went by very naturally, but there was more than a school year between the beginning of the series and that nine months mark. Yeah. Like, was he ever a uh, junior in high school? Uh, he never will be. <laughs> no, he's back and gone Spurs. again. 20, that's yeah, they never explained that. Yeah. That was yes, 
the thing I've the thing I've written here is the poor bastard never got to graduate from high school or even get further than second base. And this is assuming he gets an off-panel grope in Amazing Spider-Man in Ultimate Spider-Man Annual Number Three. <laughs> an off-panel grope, hopefully by Mary Jane, you mean? Yeah, that was the Mary Jane no, Arnold issue. <laughs> if the lights are off, he reaches out and he just says, Oh, Peter. Miss Piggy's groped him? And he dated Carnage. <laughs> well done. And he dated Carnage. In fact, that his was... hand goes through a time warp and gropes on trouble era. It's a rather high concept. <laughs> yeah. It's too bad that Bendis never got to bring in Ultimate Skip. You've got to bring trouble into it somehow. So I'm saying his off-panel grope was with his teenage aunt back when she was getting pregnant with him. Have y'all read Trouble? I still have not read oh, Trouble. Christ, no. I remember it was on the shelves not long after I started buying comics. I remember looking at the covers and going, what the hell? Because there were two Marvel books with really unique covers. One was Trouble, and the other was the Bruce Jones Incredible Hulk run, which had those Peter Bag covers, where like you'd have... Uh, the cover of the comic looked like a box of uh, cereal with the whole, they were Hulkos or something like that. And just these weird, crazy covers. And then you read the comic and went, oh yeah, this is shit. I had no idea that Terry Dodson did that artwork, which made it even more appalling. Yeah, it's not a good book. But like, in, in terms of images from Amazing Spider-Man to this point, what compares to this image? Was it like the Ditko master planner lifting the, the crap over his head? Is it, is that, does that come close? In terms of iconic, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, the only other iconic images that I could, like, really iconic that I can think of is uh, him holding the burglar in um, Amazing Fantasy 15 when he was um, an 18-year-old high school senior. You know, retcons be damned. Well, I mean, I think that, like, uh, like the, the, the Spidey Strikes Back, one that they, they use over and over again for the cartoon, comes close. But I think that, like... Uh, I feel that because like, I, I heard about this story way before I heard about the, the Master Planner story. So I think that this is probably the most... I mean, those, those definitely come close, but I think this is the most uh, popular image in Spider-Man canon. That well, I mean, there's a reason why this image was recreated almost exactly for uh, Spider-Man 2. I don't think it was raining in that scene. It's been a long time since I've there seen There was lightning, it, so. but I don't, I don't remember it raining. But, I mean, you, you, you almost feel like Spider-Man 2 from Peter Parker's story progression, Raimi starts with this issue, works backwards... Uh, sorry, he st- Raimi starts with this image, he works backwards from it, as in, how do I get to this point, and then works forward from it. But th- it feels like that is the, the key moment in that entire film for um, Peter Parker, and it's, it's very right that they should use this image. No, it was, it was, it was a terrific adaptation. And like, no, no. Raimi did that because he was copying Superman 2, which came out decade, you know, after Spider-Man 50. <laughs> to, the, to the point where, like, the movie adapts the very next scene. Anyway, some enterprising young whippersnapper quickly snatches the costume and runs all the way to Jameson's office, rushing past Betty, emotionally balanced Brandt, and bursting in to show old Flattop his server-first epic loot. That's the Warcraft reference. Yeah, what a Warcraft. He gets a free copy of the paper for his efforts because Jameson is a generous and giving uh, employer. The Beagle quickly prints up its latest edition, bearing the headline, Is Spider-Man Through? Which is not not spelled correctly technically for a national newspaper. Really, it's not. I mean, you would not do that on a headline. Ned Ned Leeds wrote it. It's not even what through means in that sense. Like You don't use through for being done and spell it that way. You use through for like going through something, and you spell it that way. Uh, uh, that's, that's the slang way. 
Okay, here's here's um something that wouldn't really fly nowadays unless it was a Latsky kid. This kid is able to go into a major metropolitan newspaper, go to like the editorial offices and like give this like with no adult in sight supervising this thing. I mean, you figure he ran through the entire bullpen, like all the various imaginary people out there banging away on typewriters and trying to make layouts and everything else. He ran through all of that to get to here. Clearly, the security they have is only Brady Brand. No adult in sight, though, like like with the kid who like let him go into the big city by himself where, you know, bad things happen. <laughs> if, if, you, if you remember um, Spider-Man 2, I think Brant brought the guy who brought the costume in instead of him like busting into the door. It was a homeless guy, yeah. And you got to mm-hmm. be careful because in, in New York you have people like taking off their clothes in alleys and stuff. Yeah. If that, does that mean that the kid was in the alley watching Peter... I've just finished reading Transmetropolitan. Uh, There's just a very different spin on it from that point of view. <laughs> he looks like he looks like that kid that was in all those ninety movies, '90s movies, uh, like Stuart Little and Jerry Maguire and uh, oh, Airbus. somebody Lipnicki. Yeah, like John Lipnicki. Yeah. I don't know. Like he he was on Family Guy <laughs> recently. Like they're like let's get let, let let's get that cute kid from the movies, and then like Peter sees him and he's like ah he grew up he's ugly. <laughs> I remember that. Um, I like to think you know how when Mark Miller writes uh, Marvel comics he sort of has little bits that tie things together like the Wolverine and the baby from the end of Old Man Logan is the Wolverine and the baby in his Fantastic Four the future thing and there's something connected with 1985 uh yeah you're vaguely aware of that well I like to think that there's a characters that follow me from podcast guest appearance to podcast guest appearance therefore John that's a slightly older version of the orphan from Superman number three Okay. He's crossed companies, gone 20 years without aging, but that's him. Well, it's not the last time we're going to have somebody cross companies in this story, but that's not until issue 52. Well, he, he's, he's an orphan, so, 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 there, so that's why he has no parents. And he, he, and he knows. He's like, if I give Jonah this Spider-Man costume, he'll adopt me on the spot. I just know it. And it, <laughs> it didn't work. No, it, it didn't. Well, for one of the Spider-Girls. Yeah, it did. For <laughs> one of the Spider-Girls adopted by Jane, Jonah? Yeah, he, ad- he adopted Maddie Franklin, didn't he? And she was, uh, she was murdered. Right, yeah. And nobody Which is ne- never talked about. <sighs> and then, like, a month or two after she was murdered, you know, Marla and Jonah get back together and make no mention of, didn't we used to have a kid? <laughs> ah, yeah, it's okay. And well, like, yeah. I remember that from, the re- from one of the alias trades, where um, she's being used as a source for MGH, and Jones has to go and eat humble pie and get Jessica Jones to investigate. So, and there's some really good, you know, talking about the fact that uh, he's got this kid, and then Marla knows that she's Spider-Girl and can't tell Jonah because of the pride and various things. So it felt like there was a really strong bond there. But no, the Cravens murder her, and that's fine. Well, Marla dies a few months later, and when Marla dies, Jonah, like, changes the city and, like, tells Robbie to do all these, like, tributes for her and stuff. And it's like, so, no mention of Maddie Franklin at all. And then, like, a month or two later, Betty Brant's in the hospital, and Jonah once again goes crazy, like, you know, first my wife, now Betty. It's like, you had a kid, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Betty was like a daughter to me, because I don't have any daughters, any at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Poor Maddie Franklin. I was like, this is She didn't get a funeral, and like the sad thing was, like it wasn't like she was captured and killed in one issue. Like she was held hostage for months. Oh yeah, she was taken like in six hundred, wasn't she? Nobody knew she was missing. 
<laughs> Turns out, whenever they went to the adoption agency, this red bird flew down and uh, <laughs> havoc. And now they never did adopt Maddie Franklin, and and that whole connection has been erased. Well, she she wasn't adopted like randomly. She's one of Marla's like nieces or something. Don't correct me when I'm wrong, <laughs> or else you will be corrected. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we're never going to get through this issue. Continue, Stephen. <laughs> Wait, wait, you mean Tangents and Procrastination is something you guys don't want on this podcast? No, just that one's over. We're going to keep going now. <laughs> is Spider-Man through? <laughs> uh, yeah, so um, New York is a buzz with the copy of the Daily Bugle, which is like its best-selling issue ever. And apparently it's done really well on digital as well, although we're not announcing how many figures, and only through our own app. And, yeah. Screw you, DC. <laughs> <laughs> um and everyone's just going crazy about it, and they've obviously never read Amazing Spider-Man. I want to say 19, where Spidey quit. Right. Because oh, they, yeah. they can't believe that he would ever quit, even though he already did it. And well, actually, can... I, my, my, my theory is that that guy back there that says, that web-slinging wonder would never quit, someone must have beaten him. That's Flash Thompson, because he never actually went off to Vietnam. <laughs> no, he doesn't. He's, he's just mailing... Uh, he just travels out somewhere near an army base to mail the letter so it's got a postmark on it and then travels back. I'm pretty sure that's exactly what happens because he left two issues or three issues ago and he's, he's going to be back in two issues. And yeah, he never actually made it to Viet Cong. Or and he that. comes back a lot. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, he gets tired of sleeping on the streets. He has to pretend to come home. <laughs> Nobody's uh, allowed to come home that much. <laughs> from Vietnam. <laughs> Aren't you in the jungle somewhere and you can't get out? <laughs> but, uh, his travels back and forth gave inspired air miles. Yes. Anyway, uh, Jameson is popping up on talk shows a lot. Um, and that's Johnny Carson on the top, isn't it? Yeah, that's Johnny Carson. Uh, I don't know what he looks like. Uh, don't know. I just know nothing about the guy except that he was big a long time ago. It's actually a pretty good likeness. The guy in the green suit is a pretty good likeness to Johnny Carson. Okay, cool. Um, so he hits the talk shows. He's linking his loot wherever he goes, which is the Warcraft version of going around going, hey, look at this. It's amazing. Um, so he's taking the costume with him. Uh, but in the meantime, we've got the Kingpin, a.k.a. Wilson Big Boned Fisk, popping up, making his first appearance. Gazing I'm not bad. I'm Big Exactly. Oh, we should do the Carbon voice for Wilson Fisk because there's no way we can pull off uh, Roscoe Brown. This is the moment we've been waiting for. With Spider-Man gone, my pants cannot reach fruition. <laughs> Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? What are you doing? I was looking for that bit from Born Again where it's like a man without fear is <laughs> to doing the Cartman voice. How can you just know you're Frank Miller? A man without hope is a man without fear. That's the one. Thank you. And I, I had shown him. <laughs> so I, I couldn't just go for, yeah, whoa, on the kingpin. Yeah, first appearance of the kingpin, and it's an ass shot. There's the rest of his back as well. It has to be a shower scene, and then I look <laughs> at the John Romita senior art, and I say, absolutely. It absolutely did. Oh, yes. Uh, have we even covered what he's doing yet? I can't remember where I got to in the sentence. He's basically he's gazing out of a window, deciding that Spider-Man's absence gives him the perfect opportunity to bring his plans to fruition. Oh, yes. Uh, I did have some notes about the Kingpin for his first appearance, but he gets like five panels this book, so I'm going to save him for next week. Or indeed next episode, if you're not Josh, John, or Don. Even if you are, it's still next episode. 
Yeah. All 329 of you, according to Facebook. <laughs> They're all Josh, Don, and old John. Hmm. Um, out on the street, uh, Patch the Stool Pigeon notices that the biggest mobsters on the east side are getting together. And he retreats to form his own plans. Inside the meeting, the Kingpin's lieutenant informs the hoods that the Kingpin is ready to take over as the headman of the mobs. And in the Kingpin's first appearance, we have the typical Kingpin scenario, which is he's either making a play for power or the opposite version, he's losing it. And in this case, he's making a play for power. And that's pretty much every Kingpin story ever. He's either going up or he's coming down. <laughs> True. That's what she said. Pretty, Pretty much. <laughs> I read a lot of Bendis Daredevil um, over yeah. the summer, and like throughout Bendis's run to the end of Brubaker's run, there's about like three or four different like scenarios where it's like the Kingpin, he's coming back, and I'm like, oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> yeah, it does get a bit samey. But in retrospect, best police order ever. Yes, yeah. Well, that, that that was pre-police order. Police order was Bronze Age. Don't, I, what did I say? Don't correct. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Stop retconning his life. <laughs> Patch goes back to his apartment where he removes his mask and reminds his empty apartment that he is really Hitler. Oh wait, wrong book. He's really Frederick Foswell, the big man, the big man, as he his wife calls him. He, he probably has a wacky roommate that he's talking to. Frederick, you're late again. <laughs> but that, there is absolutely no reason why he should say this line. Not a man alive knows that I'm really Frederick Foswell. Because yeah, if, if there's not a roommate, who is he talking to? Well, maybe his roommate is like an undead person or something, or a woman. Bennett Brant. And not a man alive. Isn't that right, roommate Liz Allen? <laughs> oh, this will be like uh, in Macbeth. I uh, you more. A man not of woman born. Yeah, yeah. Or, or reminds me of a, a Return of the King. I am no man. <laughs> I am no man. And my axe. She chopped his head off like Phil Yurick style. Really sucks that she's uh, is not going to be Brianna in the second Game of Thrones because I think she'd be amazing as a. But anyway. I only saw the first episode. I haven't seen the rest of it yet. Oh, so you've not read the books either? I'm halfway through the first book. Oh, okay. Any of you guys read or seen it? No, I've, I've just lost I've, I'm not. I, I can't because I'm only up to 2007 in my uh, watching TV and reading project. I'm going to pee on you, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the next day, the self-confessed gone-straight two-bit reporter heads into the Bugle office, planning to return to his position as the king of crime. For, as the caption box reminds us, he used to be called the big man, and not just by girls he hired for the night. Jameson proudly displays his loot, which he has stashed in the bank, lest he accidentally sells it to a vendor. Um, I mean, he's had it framed on his wall. So I'm a recovering World of Warcraft-aholic. And recovering poorly. Peter Parker arrives and announces that he's quitting as a photography to, uh, photographer to focus on his studies. Which of all the moves that he makes in this book, this is one that makes no sense. It is his only source of income. And yes, he mainly does that by lying and cheating his way through it. But well, later on, he, he does say that he, le- he does say that he was going to take a uh, Norman Osborn science job. But he hasn't decided yet. He's, he muses on it later on in the book. He hasn't decided yet. Oh yeah. Uh, he doesn't have to think things through. New York succumbs to a crime wave, heralded by a giant pair of guns hovering over the scene of any crime. The lack of web-related crime foliage convinces the Kingpin that Spider-Man truly has retired. So again, we have Sp- uh, Kingpin getting... Uh, 
What? <laughs> the Fantastic Four. Four. Like, if, if everyone's in this city. It's like, well, we have one less superhero, so obviously we can take over. Like, yeah. Where's Daredevil? <laughs> Where the hell are they? Anyway, Fantastic Four might be stuck in the negative zone. Thor might be stuck the in Avengers. the Daredevil is around somewhere, both Matt and Mike. Spider-Man deserves his first, first crack at these guys, so that's why they're not doing anything. <laughs> no, we wait. <laughs> Don't we, Bruce Wayne? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say. <laughs> like, like well, why, why, why does like New York's crime wave begin and end with Spider-Man? That's like. <sighs> um, Kingpin vows to run the crime gangs of New York like a business, with himself as chairman of the board. Awesome. It's another day again, and Gwen. Hey, I found my eyes. Stacy rushes up to Peter with a letter from Flash. Legs for life. Thompson, who is preparing to ship out to Vietnam. Sorry, that was the most tasteless one that I've got. No, that was not the most tasteless one. We've done tasteless ones before this. Uh, she straddles Peter's mighty throbbing engine and is ridden all the way home. Nice. Wait, that, that did sound needlessly euphemistic. Uh, Peter gives her a lift home on his motorbike. And, and, Peter, and Peter looks at that letter from Flash and says to Gwen, he really turns you on, doesn't he, Gwen? And she says, face it, classmate. How many bustling blondes wouldn't find a hip, handsome, foot-sold football hero totally repulsive where are you going with this i'm not going anywhere i'm just reading the <laughs> continue with your recap mr lacy <laughs> <laughs> you thought it was over folks <laughs> <laughs> the two flirt unable to admit their attraction to each other thus proving that not being a superhero doesn't counteract being socially awkward Back at the Parker household, Aunt No Funny Nickname May has made a full recovery, which again has no relationship to Peter's decision to stop being Spider-Man, although it's a big tick in the not being a hero column if you want to associate the two. Uh, after a quick flirtation with Mary Jane, he races across town to lounge around in his apartment reading a book. That book is important. It has a red spine. Unfortunately, <laughs> the radio comes on with news of a robbery of a welfare office. Concerned over the implications that that much welfare money going missing... Uh, Peter jumps off the sofa and rips off his shirt before remembering that he's a member of Superheroes Anonymous and that he can't help. In fact, he actually says, hold on, next page, actually says, yeah, you just took the pledge, which, you know, it's a bit different from joining an actual addiction group. Right. Just a little. Just a little bit. Um, hey, Parker, hold it, hold it, you chowderhead. You just took the pledge, remember? Your web slinging days are up, gone forever. Simmer down, sweetie. He's you can read about it in the paper, but without pictures. But he won't read about it in the paper. Harry will. Yes. Uh, Harry will I, do anything to like get Peter's attention. Yeah, so the next next morning, Harry is reading the paper with what appears to be the headline, Indini Murder. <laughs> Houdini Murder. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Um, it is the bugle. I'm just squinting at it there. So I guess Joan is still recovering from his uh, incident at the office and he's just randomly typing things out. <laughs> uh, Osborne tries to make conversation about the crime wave, but Peter changes the subject by bringing up uh, Norman Goblin Pubes Osborne, which leads to a discussion on the job offer, which Peter is now considering. At ESU, Peter meets Gwen again, only to find out that she's on a date with Harry that evening. Is that a date date? Are they actually dating? Yes. No, sir. no, no. They're, 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 they're not dating. They're just going on a date. No, no, they're not. No, it's um, the Gwen and Harry are not dating. It's just a joke between her and Peter. Right. Yeah, it's, it's all it's a like, joke. Just like there's a joke between me and Josh where I where he says something like that and I flip him off. I mean, yeah. I mean, look at Gwen. She has a big old smile on her face. 
She like, always had a smile on her face. Even when she was being raped by Norman, she had a smile on her face. No, she didn't. And she wasn't raped. It was consensual. And why am I defending that? Defend <laughs> that. <laughs> no one defends sins past. No one on this show. When Goblin made me mom like Stacy. The Peter starts to realise basically the world has moved on a little without him and uh, the time that he has for his friends is not matched by the time that they have for him. On his way home, Peter spies a security guard being attacked on top of the warehouse warehouse building. <laughs> uh, as he's the only one around, he leaps into action. <laughs> it says warehouse! <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's what I was pointing out. It's branded warehouse. It is a warehouse. It's branded so by the... William Dozier. It's the warehouse registered trademark warehouse. We actually have a chain of uh, shops in the UK called Warehouse, and presumably their stock is stored somewhere. <laughs> um, uh, he's the only one around, so he leaps into action. He scales the building, assaults the two attackers. He's moving fast enough to avoid being seen or recognised. At the point where he won't even look at the security guard to check that he's okay after he's beaten up the uh, attackers. Minutes later, down at the waterfront, Peter wonders about what's happened, how he abandoned his plans and pledges when someone's life was in danger. He realises that the guard looked like Uncle Ben, which is interesting because he leapt into action from about five stories below. So he's obviously got the well-known spider telescopic vision there. And he has, then has flashbacks to the relevant panels of uh, Amazing Fantasy number 15, but redrawn by Ringading Ramita. Flashback over. So we're skipping about three pages there because I think we know what happens. Give you a hint. Ben dies. Yeah, with the point that, you know, uh, last time he shared his responsibilities as Spider-Man, Ben Parker died. So that's the moral of this story. Now, the last time he shared his responsibilities as Spider-Man, Flash decided to behave like an idiot and get himself beaten up. Right, right. (laughs) That's why Flash comes to visit in these next coming issues. Like, you know, (laughs) you know, you know, like, you know, he's either in an alley somewhere or he's in Vietnam and like, you know, the daily like, you know, bugle hits and like it says spider-man no more and he's like i know what i must do and he like leaves he leaves the battlefield and like people are like firing shots and then like flash what are you doing and like the whole platoon like can we get blows up <laughs> can we get kurt bazik to do a special untold tales of spider-man issue which is just flash living his life going around the world and every time he sees that spider-man squit he starts to get long haul flights all the way back so it arrives two weeks later the exact spider-man costume and then he sees him swing overhead and go, nope, too late, and just heads back on with his life. <laughs> Flashback over, Peter realises that he can never renounce being Spider-Man, as he could never let an innocent die because Spider-Man failed to act. Um, I seem to remember there was a... No, actually, fuck, I won't talk about Superman, he's a twat. Um, uh, but the big problem I have with him saying something like that, yes, it's sort of noble and it's shot from underneath him, so it makes him look big and proud and strong, and it's a pivotal moment, but let's face it, New York's a big place and there's lots of other heroes. So he could retire and the Fantastic Four or Daredevil or later on Iron Fist and Power Man and all the other people could do the job for him. But obviously not because while he was out for those few days, Kingpin took over. But also, anytime something happens, Pete's going to get hit with the mother of all guilt trips. True. Oh oh my God, there was an automobile accident and I wasn't Spider-Man. Oh my god, a kid dropped his ice cream cone and I wasn't Spider-Man. And as he's saying this on this dock, like, it's, like, the camera actually, you know, pans to, like, under the dock where that, where that little John Licknicky boy is, like, sitting under there with this, like, shocked, like, expression on his face. 
We really needed some big ironic tragedy in Amazing Spider-Man 185 so that afterwards they could say, oh no, while I was boinking Betty Brent, I should have been Spider-Man. <laughs> he boinks her in 89, just for the record. That's what I said. <laughs> so, we're now back with the King King. Uh, the King King? The Kingpin. And it's headquarters, Frederick Foswell has abandoned his patch persona and goes right to Fisk. Explaining that he used to be the big man and that he should be the one in Kingpin's shoes. His arrogant offer to make the Kingpin his lieutenant offends the Kingpin, as you might expect. He attacks Foswell with his laser pointer walking stick and tells a goon to put him on ice for a while. Taken from Craven's nipples. <laughs> it's the same technology. <laughs> Cra- sorry. Craven had laser nipples. You haven't been listening to the show. Oh, boy. Yes, he did. <laughs> been listening to the show, just not closely. Okay, yeah. Craven in issue 47 and 49, was it? Yeah. The, the 49 coverage hasn't been released as we're recording this. But yeah, in issue 47, the, the lion vest that he wears uh, would shoot oh, lasers yes, out does. of the eyes. Yes. Yes. Well, 47 is the... Yeah, that's the the Deadpool one, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes, I remember that. That gets the piss taken out of it quite heavily in the Deadpool uh, version of it. So we're nearly at the end of the issue. Uh, Peter scales the outside of the Daily Bugle building and breaks into uh, Jonah's office. Uh, and in fact, he does that. He, oh, no, he shoots around his neck. There they are. I couldn't quite see him. He changes it into a Spider-Man costume and then basically waits there until Jonah decides to wander in, which considering it's the middle of the night, he could have been there for hours uh, waiting for the next morning Jonah in. Um, but which is kind of creepy in. if you think about it. Yeah. That's really asking for further harassment from Jonah, isn't it? I could just imagine, like, a montage of, like, Peter, like, do I sit on the chair and twirl around when he walks in? Should I be leaning against the wall? You know, he'll bring out grab an alley cat so I can stroke it. No, what happens is, um, Jonah, like, he's still getting dressed, so when Jonah comes in, Spider-Man's, like, putting his pants on, it looks like Spider-Man's mooning him, he's like, why I never? Oh, oh, uh, oh, hi, JJ. There's a very prescient line. Uh, in the middle, well, the third panel on the page, where he talks about recruiting, he goes, you heard me, I'm signing up volunteers. I'm going to fill the whole city with Spider-Man. Don't worry about this. And you've, yeah, he's just, Warren's just sitting in the outer office going, whole city with Spider-Man. Ooh, that's an idea. I'll make a note of that. Secret origins. I thought you make like a, oh, a Batman Spidey. reference. The Spider-Man of Africa, the Spider-Man of Cambodia, the Spider-Man of... No, New it's New, uh, New York City Island full of Spider-Man. That's, that's a secret origins of Spider-Island. Dan Slott is reading his like Marvel Tales version of this. Wow, a whole city of Spider-Man. Uh, yeah, Spidey's back. He's back in action, and as far as the world's concerned, they better believe it. Because if they don't, the beach, and how? I'm right. just flipping through because on on that next to the last page, we saw Spider-Man climbing up the wall, or rather, Peter Parker climbing up the wall with his shoes around his neck. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure we've seen that before. I was about to say, I mean, that comes back a lot in the future, but um, I, I find there's a very distinctive Romita uh, artistic artistic, artistic um, uh, little bit of storytelling. I mean, it, it's hard to be certain because we don't actually have a lot of occasions where Peter Parker is climbing a wall without being Spider-Man. So as I'm flipping through back issues, I'm actually having a hard time finding a case to compare it to. Was this the first time where the idea that he can climb walls better without his shoes addressed. Well, that's, shown. that's what I'm saying. This is the first we've ever seen him doing it without his shoes on. So that would be that would suggest that. Well, of course, strictly speaking, he shouldn't be climbing walls with his shoes on at all. 
Which I think is I think is a better idea than um the like the Spider Man movie thing of like, oh there's hairs on his on his hands and feet because really like, this is a very comic book level I don't think I've seen him in any, any of the cartoons or anything where he needs his leather shoes off in order to climb walls. Right. Which it always makes, makes me question like the, the the material of his boots. Right. Just how thick are those soles? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, and sometimes Alex Ross will make them like really like 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 socks kind of thing. You can kind of see the 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 curvature of his feet when he was swinging. So it goes from artist to artist. Okay. Well, thank you for that recap. Uh, or, or did we finish? We finished, right? Yeah, we did. We finished. Yeah, I was yeah. going to make a joke here. You wouldn't see any curvature of the feet if Liefeld was uh, drawing him, but that just seemed too easy. <laughs> and so, um, going back through the issue, because uh, I mean, this is. I mean, when I first read this as first appearance of the Kingpin, I didn't think it was all that much because it's, you know, he's not really in it very much. It's very much a part one, isn't it? My first note is on the very first page where they uh, they misspelled Mickey DeMeo as the inker, but that's not really that important. Did they? Uh, yeah. Did you not have it an was alias. It should be D-E-M-E-O. Oh, cool. Hmm. And Nicky was DeMeo. The first scene opens up with a bunch of action, which is pretty cool because most of this issue is very, you know, lacking in Spider-Man action. So I thought it was kind of ingenious of them to just, you know, throw us into a fight at the beginning. So we do get some some superhero fisting. I mean, some superhero fighting. (laughs) Fisticuffs. Um, Fisticuffs. There we go. I will say that though that um, I think this is sort of like you know it, it's a it's an everyday kind of action scene but it for a normal not that important action sequence it's really really well drawn mm. i think very I mean, dynamic I, I love the scene where he's like just pushing the guys away and slamming them with the door i think that's really cool uh that's a really just just a really great fight scene i, I really i genuinely do i think that's a very uh surprising level of um uh choreography with this yeah. kind of thing i just i wish they hadn't got the the mismatch between the dialogue and the art on the flipping panel, because that would have been a really cool thing as well. It's it's not often that when you think of Spider-Man, you don't necessarily think of you think of his agility, you think of the fact that he can do web stuff. But you don't necessarily think that he's got the speed as well. It's sort of one of the less uh, well-known bits of it as well. So it's nice to sort of see that. You also see like this is the, like these three issues have horrible, horrible exposition. He flipped back. You missed him. Like. In the heat of battle, no villain would like make the time to say that. Right. I mean, and also it's very plain from the art. There's Spider-Man flipping. We have motion lines. We have the line of the gunshot. We have it not hitting Spider-Man. So we don't need that kind of over-exposition there. Right. Well, everyone like does exposition. Like Frederick Foswell walking into his apartment. Like little dude, dude. That you know, does people know that the patch is really me, Frederick? Fo- like I, I don't like go walking home. Like little do people realize that I, Joshua Laffamertoni, am about to heat up my dinner, and it's going to be good. I'll show them. I'll show them all. No man on earth shall know that I count my toilet paper squares. <laughs> <laughs> only, only scant few people know that really, in, in reality, Donovan Morgan Grant is the podcaster Donovan Morgan Grant. <laughs> <laughs> it's like whenever, whenever Doc Brown no takes off there his... knows that I'm British. Oh, th- th- that's not the only time we're going to be talking about bad secret identities tonight. Or However, tonight. I, I'm I, so I, used to saying tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh, you know, hear me? See, it'll soon be tonight for me. 
I do want to pull out the uh, the grammar bit again, despite the uh, the iTunes review that we got, which we haven't read yet, but we will. Um, down there at the bottom of page two, whenever Spider-Man attacks the bad guys, he says, us Spider-Man, don't demolish that easy. It should be we Spider-Man. But um, we Spider-Man, I should say. And um, we mentioned earlier Peter Parker driving around without a, a helmet. They oh, are, I'll, I'll put that joke in again. Okay. They are going to get a, uh, a letter about the fact that he's riding around without a helmet because cool. that is becoming a con- safety concern. It's not a law yet, but it's definitely a, um, a safety concern uh, awareness at this point in time. <laughs> because Fonzie has ruined the lives of people and children in America. <laughs> this is pre-Fonzie. Oh, this is post-Fonzie era, but like Happy yeah, Days is not out. Because Fonzie is a real person in the Marvel Universe. <laughs> of course he is. At yeah, the, the, Peter, Peter has like helmet-looking hair. Well, Marvel had that uh, Happy Days comic uh, comic uh, series that ran for 170 issues or so. You they know. must have had a, a Marvel team up with the Fonz. They did it with the with the original, not ready for primetime players. Right, but <laughs> we're not entirely sure that should have happened. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they had to they had to fight Laverne and Shirley because they were like possessed by symbiotes or something, and. Uh, <laughs> Now, that I was now see, the thing is, this actually was a regular thing for Superman in the 50s. I mean, he got Orson Welles in his comic. He did a, a, a pop singer. Uh, I forget who all he teamed up he with. He had a game show host as well. Pat- yes. Uh, I know you're talking about. Not Pat Boone, was it? It was, it was Pat Boone. Yeah, it was Pat Boone. He's on the cover. Okay, oh, dude. Stop Pat Boone from making a song with Lois Lane, or else they'll kill us all. <laughs> oh, dude, there, there was a funny letter to that, like, Lois Lane comic with Pat Boone. Like, somebody said, like, how dare Pat Boone sing with Lois Lane? Do you, do, you know, Pat Boone's married, you know, and this adulterous act will not stand. And then DC was, like, talking about, like, all these other, like, singers who happen to be married that sing with women. And, like, how singing with a woman is not, like, cheating. Up at the top of page four, whenever Peter's all bemoaning his situation, everyone flips over the FF. They think Daredevil's the coolest. Captain America turns him on. And, 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 you know, Captain America turns me on. Doesn't he turn you on? No, I've, I've, I've gotten a few stiffies for Captain America, sure. <laughs> and how long ago was May's last attack? Has there been one since Master Planner? Uh, I don't think so. I think this is the first one that's like really, really like like inconsequential. Because I think she's fine in the next appearance. She's I don't fine even know if it's an later. Would you consider it an attack? She's just like laying. Define down. an attack. Like an attack from what? Her her body. I mean, I, I understand what they're saying. Attack from Josh. Just got himself into the comic. I'm just we looking did. through the di- dialogue again to see exactly what it says. What'd you say, Stephen? Uh, I was about to say that was one of the jokes that we recorded. Was it? Josh building the machine to go into the comic and kill. Oh, yeah. <laughs> She's sick because of us. We, re- we retcon Spider-Man history. Well, but, like, if, you, if you read the dialogue, Anna actually says, like, you know, that, like, this was all because Peter didn't answer the phone. And even if he wasn't being Spider-Man, you know, like, if he was at a study group at, you know, Gwen Stacy's house or, you know, or at the coffee bean with Harry or out socializing. She, she doesn't put the blame on him, does she? Does she? No, but she, she, she said she doesn't do it directly, but I mean... Read the dialogue for that page. Like she, she said, kept like calling for you, wondering where you were. She was so worried. I think that would be after, like after whatever it was that happened happened. She started calling for Peter. That's how I read it. <laughs> Time's up. About to punch my ticket. Peter, Peter, Peter. She's resting now. Blah blah blah. She kept calling for you, wondering where you were. She was so worried. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think she's trying to say 
because you because you actually have a live Betty or Aunt not Betty. It's <laughs> another reference. That too. Because you have a live Aunt May was dying. I don't think that's the idea. I think it's just because oh she was worried about you and Peter has to feel guilty. That does come back later in the issue though, where um when Peter stops by, what let, let me find the exact quote because I hate flipping through. Yeah, here we go. Um, what page? When Peter, when yeah, um, page. It says 14 on, like, the thing. Peter says, uh, yeah, Peter comes in, you know, like, talking about Cary Grant or something, and Anna Watson says, I told you he'd be here right after class, May, dear. Now, if Donovan was running late to the recording, and I said, don't worry, John, he'll be here, and then Don showed up, I wouldn't say, see, I told you he was coming, but you imagine that, like, so you imagine that this is something that Anna had to tell May a dozen times, including like may say, no, no, he's gone. He's probably in a motorcycle accident somewhere bleeding out. Cause for someone, for someone to say, I told you he was coming. It usually means that this was something that like had to be reminded of as yeah, she, had, she needed reassuring. Yeah. Countless times. It I read it a little bit differently, but I, I'll, 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 I'll leave it be. Cause it's, well, well how, how do you read it? Cause like, okay. So she was sick. And she was sick and she was worried for Peter. Peter came and Peter went while she was sleeping. So she wakes up and Peter's still not there. And, uh, you know, she's old and she's not feeling well and she's worried about, you know, where Peter is if he hasn't been there. And she's stupid. And she's a bit stupid and off her rocker. Um, I I think think this version of Mae Parker is actually quite a bit senile. And um, <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> yeah, just 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 a little bit. <laughs> and so you know, Watson, uh, Watson, hello, Watson. Uh, so Anna does have to like reassure her a couple times that Peter did say he was coming right over. And so whenever he finally shows up, Anna's like, "See." And of course, there's also the whole thing that we've had the last couple episodes about how like Anna is getting kind of tired of May, um, and like all of May's incessant worrying, Anna's sort of losing patience with it. She used to be an enabler. And now she's getting kind of pissed. After only a couple of issues. Yeah. Now she's got to live with it. Right, right. Now she realizes just how badly Peter had it. Okay, so I have a note on page five where Peter is uh, moping about Aunt May. And he, on the third panel, he says, I've got a rough exam tomorrow, but there's no use trying to study. I'd never be able to concentrate. Not now. I don't know how. <laughs> Speaking as somebody who was in college, and yuck, 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 I don't know if I totally buy that he's so worried he chooses not to to study i just i I can see the idea behind it but i don't see how practical that is in an actual thought process i don't know what you think about that john no no it really isn't i mean if you have the time to study and you have an exam that you need to prepare for then you try even if it means that you're staring at just like the same two or three pages until you're too sleepy to pay any more attention you still try yeah I, i mean you're paying for college right of course, he's on a scholarship, so he probably isn't thinking about that. But most well, of us out there were paying for college. I mean, I mean, if if my mom was sick and I came came in my room and like you know like like, like well my dad's been telling me that my mom's been really sick lately. I have this uh, gender society exam tomorrow, but there's no use trying to study now. I mean, that sounds stupid to me, and I don't think it's a culture thing. I, I think it's I actually kind of think that's a weakness in Stan's writing because I, I can't imagine anybody thinking like that. I could see Peter, though, because, like, when Peter worries, he worries, like, 20 times as hard as we do. That is true. Like, Peter would be, like, reading, like, okay, so the French Revolution, 
French Revolution, just like French toast, just like the French toast that Aunt May used to make for me. Aunt May, oh, how I've let her down, how I let Uncle Ben down. Holy crap, I've been studying for two hours, and I haven't gotten past the title page. <laughs> now, now, now I can believe it. <laughs> um, we, we already talked quite a bit about the, um, the actual quitting of being Spider-Man. Um, but I just, I just want to reiterate, I mean, look at page six, you know, with, with Jonah being so sinister on the TV show and that last panel with the undershading from Peter, uh, which is, it's actually a rather Gil Kane kind of pose there. Um, good, good job. I, I agree. Um, and, and then just all the stress and craziness going through his mind. It's a little bit out of nowhere that he's reacting this strongly to everything. So we kind of have to swallow that. But um, as long as you have some butter, it's it, okay. It is, but you can buy. I mean, I know what you mean, but but the way the story's been up to this point is, it's not like, you know, all of a sudden he he feels weird about it. I mean, I know I know what you're saying, but I kind of fall in line with both. I read this issue a lot. Like you can kind of, I can sort of see just the art and not really read the dialogue because the art is so expressive. If you right. look at the blank pages, you can you can follow the story. Like you know, Peter's walking in. Peter's concerned with the television as James Jones Jimson looks like he's yelling at him. He, and then like it it the dialogue is almost like I mean the dialogue plus is the issue, but really it's it's almost unnecessary compared to like how how well the storytelling is. I mean we we go on and on about this, but really John Romita Sr. is such a master at this kind of stuff. This Back could be like then, a musical montage without hardly any audio without any dialogue and just like let the video play with these you know, these shots going on and it, it, yeah, you would know exactly what was happening. Actually Frankly, if this was a if it was this art, but with a, a scripter from today doing it, you wouldn't have anywhere near as many things. It would they would let the art tell the story in these ones, especially in Ultimate Spider-Man. Um, actually, we did we did yeah. skip over something I would want to talk about. Panel seven, page five. Uh, Pierce has a thought balloon because he he just refused going out with Gwen. He says, um, "I haven't even had time." It says, "I'm probably the only one who refused to her invitation, all because of the complications Spider-Man creates in my life." I haven't even had time for dating scatterbrained Mary Jane these days. Or is she really so scatterbrained? I've never been able to take the time out to find out for sure. So that's... I find that interesting because it says that they're going back and forth on how they want to write Mary Jane. If Peter right. is, like, wondering. And that's very... Because the idea that she was she's, like, faking her flightiness wasn't even done until, like, 20 years later. I, I find that very, very interesting. Yeah, I think it is, too. I mean, we've seen her being just a little party girl, but there's always more to somebody than what you get on the first glance. And she's obviously putting on some sort of a front because nobody, I mean, there are very few people that literally, honestly care for nothing but the next party. And if they do, they're usually, you know, drugged Drug out. Addicts. Right. So. Paris <laughs> right, Hilton yeah. is probably just like Mary Jane. She's putting on a front. She's like, she's, she's, she's really serious. She probably goes home and uh, studies existential philosophic. Someone say that word for me. Philosophizing. Philosophizing. Because you would you would you would study a thing, not a uh, an adjective. Maybe the I, I, yeah, but the, the the comparison of Mary Jane to Paris Hilton to me is is um sort that's of, like sort that's of like comparing um that's like comparing Hugh Hefner to Bruce Wayne. <laughs> well. Well, well, that's the thing, though, because the public perception of, you know, Paris Hilton and the public perception of uh, 
Bruce Wayne or this or it's this. They're synonymous. Yeah, it's it's an it's an in-universe thing. Like the way that people in the DC universe think of Bruce Wayne is the way that we in the real world think of Hugh Hefner. I mean, Hugh Hefner could be Batman, and the way that like people think of Mary Jane in the Marvel universe is the way they think of Paris Hilton. Like you know, it's. Uh, Wait, what what do you what do you think about this, Josh? That like Peter, through no real. Uh, hints of it says, is she really so scatterbrained? I, I just find that really kind of, I mean, it's it's almost like someone went back and wrote that in, but like, there's no way to know that she would have this. One of those when I approach this bridge, I have a star, dark spot in my soul, kind of things. It's it's interesting. It's uh, but I think at this point, like Mary Jane was just like a joke character. Like there wasn't supposed to be anything more to her, and. In fairness to Stan and in fairness to Mary Jane, that's just what the Silver Age was. Characters did not have depth or backstories. Like someone on Crawl, I think it was, no, it was CBR. Someone on CBR was recently saying how they are surprised that it took Marvel so long to flesh out Mary Jane's backstory. And I responded with, well, the reason why they did is because there's a lot of characters who don't get backstories. Like we take backstories for granted now. Because lots of, you know, established characters are given them, but at the, at this point in the series, and even now, like, in the year 2011, like, we don't know anything about Betty Brant's childhood, Frederick Foswell's childhood, like, Ned Leeds, you know, Flash Tom. at this point in the strip, Flash Thompson, characters aren't just given backstories and depth, they they serve their purpose on the page. I'm pretty sure we've gotten a couple of issues of Flash Thompson's childhood before. Well, we have now, but I'm talking about at this point in the series, 1967 right. uh, still? Yeah. 67. Yeah, yeah, the summer of love. 67 was the summer of love. And with so that jumper, there. he's getting a lot of love action. Yeah. <laughs> well, it, I, I, think, I think it's equal to like saying, you know, um, Flash, Flash is such a jerk. Or is he really such a jerk? I've never had the time to, to find out for sure. That's it. Just yeah. it just comes out of nowhere in in the context of like Peter's thought process. I don't Between think that's beatings, I never took the time to know him. <laughs> when he gave me the wedgie, was, was he when really he, was he really giving society a wedgie? Was it a political statement? When he had my head down in the toilet bowl, what was he really doing? When Flash is giving me a wedgie, he's really saving us. Every every night, I, every night I pray that something will happen to Flash. Every night Peter goes to bed praying. I hope he just loses his legs or something. Let's see him play football then. I'm getting less and less subtle with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the venom in your voice is, is astounding there, Josh. Oh. If he's not careful, there could be some real carnage around. Flash is in carnage. Well, Flash made in future. Well, well, Flash made a point. <laughs> that so crazy I could punch a wall. It actually took me a second to get that. And, and now there's a DC new. <laughs> what? <laughs> that made no sense. <laughs> I can think. Neither does DC like... new. Yuck! 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 <laughs> Okay, so talking about the comic book. <laughs> scatterbrain Mary Jane, is she really so scatterbrain? We'll find out in 20 years. No, but it was a good point, Don. I totally see what you're saying there. It is, it is a bit more introspective kind of writing than they usually do for these characters. And, and Mary Jane's not going to get that kind of development for quite a while. We talked about little boy in off the streets diver- delivering a um, Spider-Man uniform. And he as, as a reward, he gets a copy of the Bugle. Uh, but at last, we will never know whether our disillusioned youngster ever took his free copy or not, for we now leap ahead to the next morning. And I just thought that was a really funny caption. Dan Slott will write a story about him. He will. 
and little boy uh, John Lipnicki, I think that's his name, yeah. And um, they couldn't get John Lipnicki to play him in Spider Man Two, so they made him a homeless man. Who? Um, what was his reward? Like a, a bar of soap, and it was a bar of soap and something else. Because I remember oh, like Jonah. Shower. No, like Jonah offers him something, and then he's like, "That's my reward." And then he's like, "Fine, add in a bar of soap or something like that." And then right. Robbie's like clutching the, the 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 costume contemplatively. He's he's doing it here. You just can't see him. He's off, he's off the panel. <laughs> Robbie's off panel. Robbie's been off panel since you know. <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we will. <laughs> so um, at the top there, the boy tells Betty, "Maintain your cool, lady." And I'm just thinking, maintain your cool. I, I'm pretty sure that's not how kids were talking, and, and like maybe keep your cool or stay cool, or uh, you know, stay cool. He, boy. He's very authoritative. I've never heard a child say maintain. <laughs> it's not really a. It's not really a word that goes along with that lord of that amount of height. <laughs> what? Like, oh, excuse me. Can you at least say age, not height? He's short. So is Peter Dinklage. Oh. I, I, you just, you just you've been watching Game of Thrones. You're sensitive. It doesn't usually. <laughs> oh, hold, hold, hold on, hold on. Let's just extrapolate that some way. Let's say if I'm watching, I don't know, uh, I'm watching something with Samuel Jackson. Does that mean I'm now more sensitive to race? Obviously. I'm doing this podcast, therefore a quarter of me is now more sensitive to race. Obviously. I mean, Don, Don's here. So I, I make sure not to make fun of, you know... I never make fun of white people when Don Grant's around. <laughs> because I do all, all that for you. <laughs> um, but my, all right. My next note's on, on page 10, if, if nobody has anything else. Uh, just, I was just wondering why um, Jonah Jameson so quickly jumped to the conclusion that this was actually the legitimate Spider-Man costume and not a store-bought costume like the one Spider-Man wore just a little bit ago. Because he, oh. he actually says, like, they hand wave it. He's like, oh, it looks like the genuine article. And, and I, I don't buy it. It looks so cheap on the previous page. Like, it does. <laughs> it's a genuine article. <laughs> and when he's, holding up the, uh, when he's holding up the shirt, I know it's the curtains, but the way the curtains fall, it looks like he has green spider pants falling out of the bottom of the Spider-Man costume. And Sorry. at the bottom there, when the police say they're going to start an investigation, how are the police going to investigate this? I mean, are they going to examine the costume for fingerprints? Or I mean, it's just like, how are they going to investigate a found costume? Oh, they're just, right bull- they're just bullshitting. <laughs> Someone's found a costume in a dumpster, yet at the same time, there's that disastrous fancy dress party over on the west side. <laughs> exactly. There's only one conclusion. Yeah, um, that's fine. They sent Steve from Blue's Clues out to like look for the little blue paw prints. Like, all right, Steve, you're the only person who can figure out what happened to Spider-Man. I have no idea what you're referencing. We we referenced Blue's Clues earlier this episode. I, it's, I, it's, I know. I let it pass. Now it's come up again, oh, and I've got no idea what you're on about. <laughs> In, unless you're from the era of Joe, because you know Steve got replaced by Joe very unceremoniously. So. Well, for a while they were doing the show together. I thought that that was like very very briefly. Well, it might have been very, very briefly, but those are the episodes we're watching right now. Are you are serious? You, you have a Blue's Clues project, too, with your, like, <laughs> your <laughs> No, we're just... Whenever he wants to watch Blue's Clues, they just bring it on Netflix, and it just happens to be the next one in the queues. I mean... They, I, was gonna say, I, I, didn't, I don't think it's still on anymore. 
No, it was just on Netflix. We're watching them in order because that's the way Netflix presents them to us. Not that because be why you're watching project. in order. Yeah, like I mean, I understand like continuity with Star Trek and stuff, but Blue's Clues, like for real, like yeah, I mean, I mean, we do the continuity with Dora, but we don't worry about it with Blue's Clues. Yeah, like yeah, Blue's Clues has these, you know, very important arcs, like you know the 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 marital. You know, Mr. Salt and Mrs. Pepper, even though they have different last names, I guess, and like, yeah. I forgot about that. So, very, very important first appearance of Johnny Carson on page 10. Yeah, it's the first okay. time he's ever appeared in, in uh, uh, the public mindset. Right, this, uh, is, actually, before, this is before he, be- he becomes Nova. I never knew <laughs> until today that that was Johnny Carson. I just knew it looked like a really good drawing, and it might be somebody, but I never knew for sure. Yeah, yeah, it was Johnny. He, uh, he was doing the Tonight Show at this point, of course. Yeah, of course. You know, I find it interesting that, that everyone's so uh, so interested in the fact that Spider-Man may be gone. When Spider-Man's always been like this, like question mark of a character in, in the New York mindset. I mean, I can understand if it was Captain America, but like Spider-Man's always portrayed like like not as a bum, but like sort of like a loose cannon people could do without. So now it's like, oh, where is he now? Like, like now they care. Yeah, a lot of people think that that loose cannon that you mentioned must be removed. <laughs> you set yourself up, <laughs> but I, I just see your point because I mean I nobody knows where he's coming from, Spider Man. Nobody knows who he is, and um... <laughs> well, he spins a web at oh, any size. <laughs> but now he'll never catch fleas, catch fleas, catch thieves, just like <laughs> son of a bitch. <laughs> well, he has spider blood, spider blood, radioactive spider. Uh... <laughs> Let's moving on, moving on. Okay, um, Frederick Foswell um, is a complete idiot. I don't know how he ever ran the organized crime racket because you don't walk in to the Kingpin's headquarters. You know, even if the Kingpin's a new character, you don't walk into someone's headquarters and say, "So, um, this thing that you spent months, you know, organizing and planning, yeah, um, how about I take over?" But you know. Um, you know, cause I, I, I'm actually, I'm kind of a big deal. Don't know if you ever heard of me, <laughs> but, um, big deal. you know, you can be, you can be my second in command. I want to read this. did a good job. I'm going to give you a gold star. Like, dude, that guy deserved to get shot at with a cane. That's like me at this point just saying, you know what, Don, Josh, John, you've done a really great job over these past sort of 30 odd episodes, but I really think this needs to be a solo show with me. And you guys can guest star if you want. And we would That's say, you witless fool, you have the temerity to address the classic game like that. <laughs> I've been on my other podcast this week. Here's another one. <laughs> okay, so but, what do we think of Foswell turning <laughs> evil again? It, I think it's convenient for the plot because this, it's never been hinted until now. We've we've seen we've seen more of him since Ramita's been on the book, I think. Yeah. But I don't think that like this comes this kind of comes out of nowhere like a lot of things. Well, they never got rid of the mustache, so he was always going to turn evil. Well, he he didn't have a mustache in his first appearance, though. He got no, that when he, when, when he, he aged when he, like twenty years in between. When he came straight. Uh, but actually, I can kind of see it because like somebody else is organizing the crime mobs, which was his thing. And when you hear someone else doing the the very thing that like you went to jail for, like the Green Goblin. <laughs> right. Yeah, and being successful at it's, I I I, I could see you thinking, ah, oh, if only that was me. Oh, you know, I could have done this. It's when I, when I say it comes out of nowhere, I I mean to say that like it kind of springs on you, but it's not without. It's not like oh, I'll, I'll be I'll be evil now. It is. They do kind of characterize it, which is good. Yeah, I I I, I could I could see it somewhat. 
the kingpin in general. Okay, uh, from from what I see here, every single kingpin origin story contradicts the other one. It's, oh yeah, it's a Marvel Comics man. Like in um in Bendis's run of Daredevil, he does like a story about the kingpin's rise to power in a flashback thing, and it's. It, it happens a, a lot earlier, and here it's looking like he's kind of like becoming the kingpin, like he's organizing his empire right now. And then there was a limited series, or it might have it might have actually been an ongoing that was canceled about the kingpin's early days, and it no totally way that been an ongoing. right. <laughs> it totally contradicted all of this too, and then. There's just, like, there's a lot of inconsistency about when the Kingpin became the Kingpin, but as originally presented here, it looks like he's he's just organizing it for the first time now, just judging by, like, the criminal's reactions to, like, oh, that's a good idea what you're doing, and he's like, the time has come to, like, you know, organize all these guys. He obviously so, had some sort of clout before this, because they actually want to fall in line. It's not like, when the Green Goblin tried to do this, they, they questioned he was, you know, that, you know, why would I want to follow you, especially with a nut in a costume? Um, and Crane King doesn't really sense. have a costume, but but he does seem to have some sort of some sort of clout in the underworld at this point. Yeah, it's it's just very inconsistent. Like when he got that clout, and like his it's it, it's it, that's one thing that really annoys me. It's like you know, it's it's like with DC where like people decide let's let's finally show this first meeting between. I'm not talking about pre Flashpoint now. I understand it's different now, but. Like, where they were like, hey, let's let's show this, like, you know, we're going to do a trade paperback about Superman's first encounter with Kryptonite. Wow, that's a good idea. That's never been done before. Like, and every once in a while, it's like, we're going to show you how the Kingpin rose to power. Ooh, finally. I always wondered about that. I'm glad, you know, that this is cool. We're going to finally see this. More of Josh's bitterness. (laughs) 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 Yeah, there's nothing more putting to me than... uh, this is the first meeting between so and so. It's like, well, okay, but we've had several dozen since, so I'm gonna stick with those. Which is why Teen Titans drives me nuts. But um, what do you guys think of? What do you guys, like think of the king? I mean, a lot of times, you know, villains will show up, and we either like like their design or think they look goofy. What do you think of like this uh, Maltese Falcon fat guy looking uh, crime boss? It's, it's certainly it's certainly noticeably different than the typical, uh, uh, you know, Blacky Gaxton, Blacky Drago. Uh, blacky, blacky. I first saw this version of the Kingpin after having recently read books like Daredevil 300 and stuff, where he's like eight feet tall and, you know, very, very round, and his head is, his hands are larger than the average man's head. Like, he's pretty big here. Uh, he, he's pretty big here, but he's not like, you know, going the to Hulk. tower over you and not able to get through a doorway big, you know? Um, it's. It's a different take, and you know, I was actually kind of disappointed when I first read it. Uh, you know, this is this was years and years and years ago, but uh, but I kind of dig it now. I like how it's more. It, I don't want to say believable in the sense of on a real starship, but um, <laughs> but you know it's not quite as gargantuanly huge as he's going to become later, and I, and I like that. I also like that this kingpin is much more physical, which we're going to see next episode. And I like that, um, you know, he, the gimmicks are cheesy without being cheesy. You know, they're 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 very James Bond. I think. Yeah, they're very sixties. A disintegrator beam built in your cane. If I hadn't let beside, for no reason, he says that. And um, I will say though, that to, like, no, to, to no one in particular. 
Well, I what about that, um, in this initial appearance? Because I think the 60s, the 60s cartoon kind of adapted the next couple of issues. And I think you get the sense that he's a very um, kind of like he's, – he's a thug uh, more so than like a, a really popular, really like, like big boss. I think that like after the Miller stuff and especially after the 90s cartoon, there was a sense of class with him. I think, mm. but right now, right now he's he's more like he's more like like a cheap thug who rose to power. Right, he's made it he's made it good, but he's not actually that awesome in himself. What about you, Stephen? What do you think about Kingpin? Uh, Kingpin was, well, uh, no, sorry, coming from a different angle. First comics that I was buying regularly as a comics uh, reader was uh, picking up about a third of the way into Bendis' Daredevil run. So um, yeah, we are. He's been a part of my comic reading life pretty much since the world go. So he's he's a villain that I think I'm quite familiar with, but he's definitely a different character in these in these Spider-Man appearances. He, you're right. He's sort of someone who's not particularly great in himself, but he circumstances allow him to be in the position that he's in, and you never really get the sense of his true intellect that we see from his daredevil appearances onwards or his physical prowess. He, he is a fat guy here. It isn't until later that we get the idea that no, he's actually, <laughs> yeah, he's big. That's because he's got about eight inches of muscle surrounding him. Approximately 3% of my body is actual fat. The rest is pure muscle. He's, he's crushing me. <laughs> well, the name Wilson Fisk, um, and the whole I'm a legitimate, yeah, I'm a legitimate businessman. I don't know what you're talking about. Like most of that stuff, which is associated with Kingpin, like doesn't come, which a lot of people take for granted, um, yeah. doesn't come until Frank Miller's Daredevil. Like it's a lot spoilers. of people. Spoilers. J. Jameson sees him here. He knows, or no, he doesn't see him. Never mind. He never. Yeah, saw him. he does. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so like he he knows what the kingpin looks like. So like, how how does how does kingpin able to have a have a Wilson Wilson Fisk persona? Well, like later on in the Tablet of Time storyline, he storms ESU with his henchmen, and like he gets arrested. He's put in jail. Yeah, exactly. I mean, like, and he swears vengeance on Superman for the rest of his life <laughs> for having him arrested. And he, and he has a, a way to escape jail by having a, a, an explosive tooth. In his mouth, <laughs> but um, I mean, like, like sorry, Don. I think it makes sense that like um, he has this like sort of secret identity because now, or I mean, it makes sense later on. Oh, I think it's a, okay. Let me let me start that over. It's a good idea later on, but if if it go in in congruence with his earlier appearances, it doesn't make sense because he's an out and out villain. Like in the '90s show, in the in the Frank Miller run, like he was, it was like Lex Luthor. He was post-crisis Lex Luthor. He was dodging questions and avoiding arrest, but he was it was never fully pinned on him. I don't think. Well, he got his records expunged um, in the at the beginning of the Miller run because he turns in like all of his former lieutenants. That like that that, that was <laughs> that that, that yeah, was a big, um, that's a big plot point. It's all around because uh, his wife Vanessa goes missing and she's sort of lost in the underworld for a bit. Yeah. yeah, he's 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 really um, p-word whipped with his wife a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, because he really is. But well, I guess so. He has a legal clean slate, but people should still remember. But it's kind of like Norman Osborn. Everyone and their mother yeah. should have known that Norman Osborn was an insane psychopath who belongs in an insane asylum with insane people. But yeah, he got made top cop for a year. So what's that about? 
Rich white people. <laughs> Rich white people with Tootsie Roll hair! <laughs> Specifically. Um, going back to uh, Foswell for just a minute, um, there's a panel on page 12 where he talks about Parker quitting at the same time as Spider-Man seems to be out of action. Is it merely a coincidence or dot, dot, dot? And this never gets followed up on. And it makes yeah. me wonder if they really knew what was going to happen with this story two issues from now at this point. Because of course when, not. When, 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 he, when he gets shot, he says, Jameson, I need to talk to Spider-Man for a minute. He says, I know your secret identity, Peter. Look after Jameson. You're the only one who can. <laughs> he knew my identity and he never told anyone. That would that would have been, that been crap. But. That would have been that would have been crap. Yes. <laughs> Did y'all feel that Gwen was acting out of character on thirteen whenever she has the letter with Flash? Move over, Mister P. You found yourself a pigeon. Just got a letter from our swinging soldier boy. I think that I think that she, within this issue, she becomes more and more. Um, she's 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 hiding less and less her feelings, and she really really just wants to like. Hang, she's she's liking him more and more. Is more attracted to him and just wants to be around him. And more, just being be more bubbly friendly because that's how she feels for, about Peter now. At yeah, the her, time when I oh go ahead. I was, I was gonna say her her uh, her uh, antagonistic persona is just like I think that's being set aside because of her feelings for Peter. That was that's what I was gonna say. At the time when I was writing the Gwen articles, I was like, there's kind of a pattern with Gwen where she hides how she feels about Peter and she like tries in these tricky ways to get his attention by like showing up at a space exhibit but not saying anything that doesn't work so she gets a little more direct as time goes on and a little more comfortable around him and now she's pretty much telegraphing hey Peter <laughs> it would be awesome if you asked me out um, so ask me out whenever you're ready I might say yes oh Gwen I really wish you me you meant that. How was the party? A, a disaster area without you. You know, I kind of wish you meant that. And then she thinks, "Oh, you lovable blind goof! Can't you see I do?" <laughs> so, like she, she's she's trying harder and harder, and she's going against her very nature of like you know, of telegraphing her feelings to like do this, and it's it's not working, and it's probably frustrating. Her. Here, Peter, I'm gonna throw you down on the ground and take off my clothes. Oh, Gwen, I sure wish you meant that. <laughs> yeah, but so do we. <laughs> it's like it. I I think that like you know Peter thinks that Gwen is the way that Don thinks that she is. That whenever she likes a guy, it's all just a big joke. <laughs> right. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> just a little bit there, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then there, there's a, there's another thing where she says um, on page fifteen, how come you haven't asked if I got, got a mad crush on a bashful black haired bike rider? Come on, we both know guys finished last. Forget it, lady. You said it, Pete. I didn't. So she, she's not hiding much at all. <laughs> she's telling look, Peter, it's the runway to my pants. Yeah. <laughs> Come on in for a landing. <laughs> what do you want to do tonight? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> Did you guys, um, do you think that the, that the way that Peter snaps back into being Spider-Man was like believable here? Or did you think that um, he should have thought that this? Because I, I got to say, I loved how they did it in Spider-Man 2, where immediately he thinks of Uncle Ben and then, like, rejects it. Because I think, to me, it's a little hard for Peter to buy him forgetting why he became Spider-Man in the first place. So, like, I like the fact that in Spider-Man 2, they had this happen where he thought about Uncle Ben and said, no, I'm still quitting. And the reality of it just kept on pressing in his life. Where here, it's like, oh, yeah, this is why I became Spider-Man. Okay, I'm, I'm not quitting anymore. It's a... Uh... 
it, it, it seems to me that he's hold on he, he goes to the start of the issue and he's like oh my god I need to spend time with absolutely everybody I'm going to quit being Spider-Man and he quits being Spider-Man and he's like oh, oh okay everyone's just a little busy mm. oh someone looks like Uncle Ben I'm Spider-Man again <laughs> and that, that's kind of his arc right I don't even think that the guy looks like Uncle Ben that much. The way that like both of those things are drawn, it's like well, no, well he no, says no. he reminds him of him, especially from Five Stories Difference. <laughs> I do like how in the origin retelling on page seventeen, when they have the present for Peter in the panel two, like Aunt May looks worried, even by the fact that they're giving him a present. Aunt May still looks like, like she she looks too old for Uncle Ben. <laughs> Uncle Ben actually clay. looks a lot older there than he did in the actual book. <laughs> Poor Uncle Ben, having to put up with Aunt May. In panel five, there's a culture reference. When it came to chasing criminals, I was more than willing to let George do it. Let George do it was a radio drama in the late 40s and early 50s. That, oh my uh, god. That, that, what? There's no possible way I would have ever known that. Seriously. It was a. Uh, it had this detective for hire, George Valentine. Um, but it it stopped going out over the radios in January of 55. So if Peter Parker is 18 in 1967, I mean, he might have memories of it as a small child. But um, but you can you, you can probably bet your money that Stan listened to it. Uh, well, it better. Otherwise, it's just like it's a cosmic coincidence. It's a cosmic coincidence. No, but um, but yeah. Just explaining all the references. It's been a while since our last origin retelling. I know that there, uh, I forget if it was me or somebody made a joke uh, on an episode about how they can sort of tell the origin every five minutes. But it really, I, I've been th- thinking about it as we've been going along, we haven't really had an origin retelling in a while. I think it was uh, the Marvel Tales Annual when it reprinted it. Have we had a recap since then? Uh, wh- wh- around what issues was that? That would have been around the Sinister Six Annual. Yeah, I don't. Th- Ooh, that was a long time ago. I don't. I don't think yeah. so. I, I mean, we, we've had references track. to it in, in, in issue thirty-three. Like Stan says, you know, I can't. He says I can't fail her, just like I failed Uncle Ben. He says for that for that story, see his first appearance in Amazing Fantasy fifteen. Oh yeah, he did. He did kind of do some flashbacks there when he was remembering why why he should care about being triumphant. But anyways, the confrontation between Kingpin and Frederick Foswell. I loved how Ultimate Spider-Man adapted this confrontation. I think it's the very first time you see Kingpin. The very first thing you see him do is is kill. With his hands. Yeah, with his hands. Squish. That was, I just, I, oh man, it's been a long time since I thought about that. That was awesome. That was. And coincidentally, Peter, isn't Peter like, like watching with like a, uh, with a uh, Cartman shirt on, on TV? (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. He had so many. Questions. I remember that Peter had a Cartman shirt, like in those old issues, and I remember thinking that that was like a really, really weird, like way of modernizing Spider-Man. Like, give him a Cartman shirt. Peter, that, Peter never that, that, that was when South Park was actually big. Yeah. Oh, no, I've got my. Vo- oh, it's volume two, isn't it? It's nearby. I think uh, so. Oh, there it is. Yeah, that's um. It's the um. It, yeah, it's, it's, it's the start of it. Um, God, I, I miss that 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 um, early Ultimate. Okay, I've gone through all my notes. Does anyone else have any thoughts on the episode on the issue? Um, not, not any, not any talking points. I just, I just like the dialogue a lot. Like, um, <laughs> I'm gonna be saying, I'm gonna, be, I, I can't get Roscoe Lee Brown on my head, so I'm gonna be doing a lot of that impression in the next issue. But we can, we can just move on. Who? 
he voiced the Kingpin in the 90s animated series, and he's the only definitive Kingpin. Oh, okay. Because all the other voices are really annoying. You're not racing Michael Clark Duncan, then. Michael Clark Duncan did a fine job, but Roscoe Lee Brown is the Kingpin. Right. (laughs) That's absolutely true. (laughs) Especially when he's surprised. What? (laughs) And when he's laughing for no reason. (laughs) <laughs> no, Prowler, Prowler, I won't screw you over. Have a nice day. <laughs> <laughs> London! <laughs> so just talking about the ads in this issue. Uh, oh, yeah. At the beginning, we have a treasure chest of fun, which has a whole bunch of crap. And one of the things that I thought was uh, most interesting was onion gum. Yes, looks like real chewing gum, but tastes like... Like onions, it's too <gasps> funny. Twelve slices to a pack for twenty cents. Typically, ideally, gum is supposed to give you uh, good breath, or at least not give you bad breath. So, if you have a gum that tastes like onions, I can just imagine by the end of the week them putting a for sale sign on their building and saying, "Well, that's the end of us." <laughs> like, what kind of use is that? That's that's, that's like Willy Wonka level uh, thing. No, it's a joke. You go up to someone and say, "Hey." Stick a gum, and they go, yeah. And you hand them the onion one, and you stand back and wait for the hilarious expressions. Because <laughs> it'll be instantaneous. And the the, uh, the house ad for more Marvel Masterpieces now on sale are three uh, different... The three major reprint books they have going right now, all the quarter oversized reprints. We had Marvel Tales number 9, which of course is our Spider-Man reprint book. And this issue reprints Amazing Spider-Man 14, with the <gasps> first appearance of the Green Goblin and the first fight with the Hulk. Hollywood, here we come. Yes, hit him over the head with a rock. And New Mexico. Yes. And Thor from Journey into Mystery, Torch and Strange Tales, Wasp from Tales to Astonish. We also have an issue of fantasy masterpieces from the golden age of Marvel. And this one actually has the origin story of the original Human Torch from Marvel Comics 1. You can't get more golden age than that. So if you want to know why the camera lingered over that guy in the tube in the first 20 minutes of Captain America... Find a copy of Fancy Masterpiece, number there you go. nine, and you'll know. It didn't really linger, but uh, it was there. It was there. You definitely you saw it. it. Highlight of the film. Then there was a Submariner story from Marvel Mystery Comics 4 with uh, some monster stories from the early 60s, including a backup from a Strange Tales issue that had the torch in the front. So yeah, not so golden age. But then the issue wraps with a Captain America story from Captain America Comics 10. And the third book is Marvel Collector's Item Classics 9, which we talked about last episode. So moving on, we have uh, Sell Grit and Order More Crap by Mail, Dollar Bargains. How can you not? How can you not? And uh, as... um, Stephen Lacey mentioned in the recap, now 30 days of driving on a single tank of gas. And, and that's, not, I, that's not an advert. That's an article. Yeah. That's just, wow. Bloody impossible. I don't know. You're supposed to be uh, ordering for $6 the GT Energy Chamber, which uh, installs in minutes in your car, proven in the labs, proven on the road, and it's supposed to, I don't know. Make your uh, make your gas consumption that much more, or that I don't much less, how, rather. I don't know how much driving they think that people are doing. Like you know, because this might be in the days where people only went like ten miles a day or something. But not in the cities. I mean, maybe in the countries, but not in the cities. Uh, the, I mean, major traffic jams are already a problem in New York. I go about a hundred miles or so a day, sometimes more to, for work. I used to do that for my job, driving yeah. all over Connecticut. 
uh, coin collector specials and a 48 inch talking monster from outer space Woo. for a dollar money back. If not satisfied, that's only two cents an inch. That sounds how, really sexual. How could you not be satisfied by um, a full uh, game talking monster monsters from outer space? space. <laughs> from outer space, like like this monster is not from outer space. I'm not satisfied. Or like, <laughs> from Japan. And don't forget, it's colorful, one piece quality latex. <laughs> and to make him talk, you just use this special designed instrument. God. Not sure exactly what we're doing with that. But we're going to keep on going. It makes him bounce in his big feet. Yes. He bends in every direction. We have another hodgepodge shot by mail ad where you can get U.S. stamps for free. A darling pet monkey as on the next hodgepodge ad. Plus, you can have a He-Man voice. And a space probe. Wow, a whole bunch of crap ads. Uh, A 60,000 candle power beam light for two bucks. Hey, look, it's a flashlight. You can also be a master of karate. Oh, is that the one which has, where is it? Yeah, the giant lifelike karate practice dummy. Yes. Which, How long um, you be practicing on it before it just collapsed? <laughs> I don't know. If it's sturdy enough to withstand your karate, then it's probably sturdy enough to hurt. But it's only a dollar, so I'm sure it's it's crap. It has big numbers on the dummy to show you exact location of pressure points and weak spots where you can practice attacking. Then we have our Marvel bullpen bulletins where we get more mixed-up madness from Marvel's mighty masters of mysticism, magnificence, and misinformation. That, kids, is what they call alliteration. Yes. And now you know. There's a point for the new cartoons for Spider-Man and Fantastic Four coming in the fall. Um, I've noticed that, like, ever since their one time they mentioned that our Marvel superheroes cartoon is a hit, which we didn't really believe at the time, they haven't mentioned the cartoon once ever since then. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a coincidence. (laughs) It debuted. It's a hit. And we're not going to talk about it again because we watched it, and it's crap. Is this is this is this the FF cartoon where they replace Human Torch with Herbie? Uh, no, that's in the like, yeah. uh, oh, that's, that's was in the eighties. This is was in the eighties. Oh, seventies. It looks pretty crap. For These that, are the right? ones which are at about the same technological and animative standard as the um, motion comics from a few years back. No, they're more than that. I mean, this is a fully animated cartoon. Oh, well, they're not the ones which are just panels and voices. That's the Marvel superheroes. Oh, uh, the, the Fantastic Four, it's it's not great animation, but they're pretty much direct adaptations of the comic book stories. But actually, actually it's full animation. I liked that cartoon. They ran it on Cartoon Network when I was a kid, and uh, it was like it, it held up really well. Like we 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 laughed because when they adapted the first uh, Red Ghost story, that in the first Red Ghost story in the comics, like they say, oh, for some reason this blue area on the moon has its own oxygen. So they didn't say that the whole moon had oxygen. It was just that area. But in the cartoon, they just land on the moon, and Reed says, well, the air is okay. And my I remember my dad busted out laughing. Yeah. I mean, it holds up about as well as any other 60s cartoon, you know, which is not not terrible, not great. Um, but, yeah, we watched the whole series and it was it was it was decent. I like the opening, uh, the opening credits. Um, it's a pretty good theme song, pretty good visual sequence there. Um, then we also have Marvel uh, is doing great in the UK. Thanks to editor Al Wallace at Autumn's Press. Just want to mention that since we have, you know, some connections with the UK on this episode. Oh, cool. Where? Over there. <laughs> Hi. In the UK. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's an item that people are writing in saying that they want proof that they've won a no prize. 
So <laughs> the fools. <laughs> they say, okay, we'll come up with something to send you to say that you've won a no prize, which means the no prize has become a prize. <laughs> you think Mike Carlin's making notes for Baldies? Maybe, maybe. Although those were actual things. Anyways. I thought they were a joke. Anyway, never mind. Stan's soapbox introduces the idea of having officers among Mary's Marvel marching masses. Uh, it's going to be a thing for a long time. Uh, we'll see that in the letters column and stuff where they, if you've like, if you've had a letter call, if you've had a letter printed in the letters pages, then you have a certain rank. And if you've gotten a no prize, you have another certain rank, blah, blah, blah. And there's a little bitty. Whoa, whoa, added- whoa, 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 sorry. Have you not seen who wrote that letter? Mark Evanier. Yeah. Who's Mark Evanier? Oh, oh, you don't know who Mark Evanier is? Yeah. He's like Jack. He's he was like- Jack Kirby's assistant for years. And is like a, yeah, a like- writer and a, writer in his own right but he's sort of well known for being sort of privy to kirby in his later years of his life and various things mark, mark evanier is basically jack kirby's apprentice who like like, like steven yeah. says like he if you want to know anything about like kirby that's that that wasn't made up by kirby talk to mark evanier because he was there for like he knows a lot about him and like has yeah. written a lot about him so unlike before when yeah me pointing out something the letter column was utter crap this is an actual person this guy's, but this guy is also Eric Larson's father. <laughs> Damn you! I've got three instances of that later in the episodes. I was going to bring up. <laughs> I'm just looking him up because I've never heard of him. I'm, I'm Wikipediaing him now. Uh, he made his first professional sale in 1969. So his his uh, career as working with Jack Kirby hasn't started yet. He's still in the military, but it's not that far off. He is 15 years old when he writes this. But you have to, you know. The way you get jobs nowadays is very different, but you have to wonder if he turns up for an interview or something and he goes with Marvel. He goes, oh, yeah, I was the guy who wrote you the letter about the MMS, MMMS uh, ranks and you've put it in. They go, ah. All right. See, no, no. Stop it. Flo, give this man a job. Stan, you have to stop giving positions to everyone that shows up saying that they wrote us a letter. We're going to run out of money in payroll. Excelsior! Stan, this is going to have major repercussions. The comic industry will be dying by the time we get to 2011. Oh, rubbish. <laughs> we won't be alive by then. <laughs> so there's also a little bitty teeny tiny ad at the very bottom teasing a title of a comic that's coming soon called Not Brand Eck, which I'll talk a little bit about next episode. Um... Just a little bit, though. I saw saw them in the X-Men one. So what is the comic? It's a parody comic. Okay, so why don't those... Because it's not Brand X, so like... like It would be like if I published a Spider-Man comic and I called it not Batman. Exactly. (laughs) I don't know. It's just... uh, it, it, I, I, I know it's a parody comic. It was just a poor joke because... Uh, okay. I don't... I thought you were... Swing and a miss. We then get our usual uh, Marvel stuff ad where you can get t-shirts and cards and buttons. And uh, then there's Spider's Web. The letters here were kind of cool. Ed Payne points out that when Flash's party was going on at night in issue 47, Craven smashed in and took them outside and suddenly it was daytime. <laughs> he must be mistaken. Marvel would never make such a horrible mistake. Never. They, part, and that's, they, and they, they, part, they party till the break of dawn. Right. right. John, <laughs> that, you, you're suggesting that Marvel's making errors around whether it's night or day in their comics. They wouldn't do that 30 years later, would they? <laughs> never, ever. They're not having detention at midnight. No. <laughs> then uh, 
Ultimate Spider-Man Hobgoblin reference. Joseph Hastings has noticed that Gwen is getting prettier every issue and also thinks that Mary Jane is getting uglier. <laughs> is he from the future where Mary Jane has a haircut? I don't know. <laughs> But the response is basically like, don't make any blind dates for us, uh, Joseph, because if you think Mary Jane is ugly, yeesh. Well, she'll probably be mutating to a spider by the time this episode gets released, so technically he's right. Or have a bunch of spiders crawling up her pants from the toilet. Oh, wait, that's Betty. Uh Oh, those four Spider-Man girlfriends. (laughs) They got turned into spiders or have spiders crawl them up toilets. Wow. The bone Spider-Man. Bruce Baker points out the new trademark image on the top left of the cover, which I meant to mention when we got to it, but I completely forgot. Yeah, me too. Instead which of a, I love. We had a Spidey head for a while, and then we had a Spidey head redrawn by Ramita, and now we have Spider-Man standing a full body shot of them all tall and sexy for us. And um, That's a Ditko drawing, too. The standing Spider-Man's a Ditko drawing? It'll, be, it'll eventually be redrawn in, by Ramita, but... Because like the Ramita, you, you can tell because that one that one's a little shorter and bulkier. This one's like more slender, and the, you can tell by the web pattern that it's Ditko. Yeah, actually, now that you've said that, it does look Ditko. And it's also from um, Amazing Spider-Man Annual Two with Doctor Strange. That 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 pose was there. You're right. Wow. Aha. Okay. <laughs> it makes me wonder why they changed it then, because they had one that was drawn. I mean, Steve Ditko had the head for a long time, but then they had a cover trademark image that was drawn by Ramita of the head. Same image, different you know, different artist rendition. So why do they change it and go back to a Ditko drawing? That's really strange. This is my favorite. Like I know this is a very useless uh, anecdote, but this is my favorite of like the what do you call them? Like the top left. The, the, he called it a trademark image. The trademark. I know, it's, just, it's just like you know, you think Spider-Man is like you know, oh, he's a superhero, he punches guys or whatever, but you know, it's it's so, it's so much more than that. It speaks to like the the um the contemplative side of the the character. Like this and. The one where he's sort of like leaping at the at the at the, uh, at the image, most 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 mostly mostly seen on the on the um, no one can stop the jugger- juggernaut story. Those two are my favorite of the uh, many Spider-Man trademark images. Well, I had to remember. Try to remember whenever they change it again. But I know they have this one for a while. It's not this one for you. Like, like not until the Marvel Wolfman run, or maybe the. It's it's a long time. Yeah, it's it's a ways down. Well, the guy who wrote that letter Next was Next issue it'll be changed. <laughs> <laughs> the guy who wrote that letter was named Bruce Baker, so whenever Stan replies, he says "Hasta la vista, BB." <laughs> no, no, I'm okay. serious, he really does. <laughs> <laughs> wow. The fool. Uh, then Brad Castler says that Ditko was better than Ramita. He says he's tired of Marvel only printing praise in the letters columns, and he calls them childish for referring to the competition as Brand Eck. And in reply, Stan tells him that he misspelled Eck. <laughs> I like the fact that someone's writing, they're actually printing a letter that's a bit critical of them and not just accepting any old fan just writing, I love your comic. Right. We set up we set up a Spider Man fan club at my at my all girls college. Here's my dorm room number. Don't come attack me. <laughs> <laughs> there was one letter though that I wanted to read. Um, it's by Professor John Fawcett, who was uh, when he wrote this, he was in the art department at the University of Connecticut, where uh, I lived for three years. Uh, he says, "Dear Stan and John, Marvel Mania has been nibbling away at me for about two years now. I finally gave in and have just spent close to two hundred dollars." To get complete collections of most of your titles. He fleshed out his entire Marvel collection of everything, or almost everything, for just $200. 
That's kind of crazy. He says, Spider-Man, in my opinion, is your best effort. If we are to believe what the better mags tell us, he has a fantastic influence on the under 25 group. My one complaint is that you have Peter Parker riding around on his bike without the proper threads. I ride a bike myself, and there are too many kids on the road with bare feet, shorts, t-shirts, and no helmets, giving bike safety a poor record. If Gene Colan had been wearing leathers, he wouldn't have those scraped elbows. Bare feet? Gene Colan? What is he talking about? I guess Gene Colan had a bike accident recently? I don't know. When he's dead, but... That's well, very yeah, hippie sounding. And, 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 no, not because of the bike accident, though. No, no. <laughs> the, the, the bike, this was decades later. <laughs> he says, put a helmet on Spidey if he influences only one rider to wear a helmet and not splatter his noggin all over the road. It'll be well worth it. Nuff said. Speaking of Gene Colan, his artwork on Iron Man is magnificent. I usually recommend all Marvel comics to my art classes to show them how fine comic art can really be. Remember, as Marvel marches on, count me in on the big parade. So that was the art professor of the University of Connecticut in 1967. And so yeah, on Facebook, and he's still working there now. No, actually, he currently owns the main antique oh, toy. Are you art serious? <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's, there's a he he moved to Maine with his wife, and he owns a toy and art museum up there where he sells like nostalgic art pieces and comic and pop art stuff and some toys and things. Um, Johnson, the watcher of uh, podcasting letter. Yeah, never, never get a letter published with Marvel because <laughs> will stalk you. In, in fairness, there is one issue of uh, many, many years down the line where I think John's going to be expertly qualified to give an update on the letter writer. Yeah, so if we ever get to issue six twenty nine, I'll be able to say. And so, so yeah, this, uh, this does Amazing Spider-Man 629. Hey, remember that, Josh? I had a letter printed. And 629? 629 and 650. Yeah. I remember 650. What did you say in 629? Oh, never mind. Okay. Carry on. My way we're <laughs> There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your way your head to rest. Don't you cry no more. Um, so anyways, here he does say, Stan promises that when Peerless Pete takes his place... He'll be astride his bike, all decked out in a protective helmet and all the other accoutrements necessary for life. That's not really quite a um, promise that they're going to change it in the art, but they do end up changing it in the art in the issue. From what I remember, you don't see him like riding with a helmet on, but you see him like part like like out and walking it with the helmet in his in his in it under his armpit. He actually does start riding uh, riding it with it on, but very shortly later he gets rid of the bike. In the Blu-ray edition of uh, Amazing Spider-Man 50, he and Gwen are both wearing helmets. And, um... <laughs> what and, a lie. And, um... And Foswell shoots first. I was about to say that. Foswell, like, you know, shoots Kingpin, you know, first. And, um, they digitally removed the glasses from uh, John Lipnicki. <laughs> <laughs> and for some reason, you see Venom digitally added in the issue. Yeah, Venom's just in the background. Walking by. We're <laughs> writing letters to, to, to Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> Next issue will come as a great surprise to practically nobody to learn that Spidey tackles the kingpin and his murderous mob with a startling Ooh. new development or two concerning frantic Freddy Foswell. You're going to see a lot more action than you've bargained for, plus the kind of dramatic story development that other mags can't even try to imitate. And just a little inside tip to the Cognizante, keep your eye on the king-sized kingpin. We suspect that he will soon take his place, along with Doc Ock, 
the Vulture, Craven, and the late lamented Green Goblin as one of Spidey's greatest and most dangerous arch foes. Again, it's true. <laughs> until Daredevil steals him. Until Daredevil steals him. <laughs> so until Daredevil steals Kingpin and Peter Parker picks a peck of pickled peppers, hang loose, Pussy Willow. We'll meet you on the pages of Spidey number 51. Don't keep us waiting too long, you hear? It gets mighty stuffy facing front between the covers. Nuff webbed. That, 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 was, that was a pretty clever ending. Yeah. I must say. Why, why Pussy Willow? Because oh, that's man, what Aunt May pussy, says. Yeah. Imagine uh, Pete. Yeah. Why Pussy Willow? Well, the, the phrase is pussycat, and she gets it wrong. Aunt May's dumb. It, it, it's a running gag. Again, you have to listen to the show. What? <laughs> it's a running Who gag in the comics. Who are you guys? Flash is running back in time, and Stephen Lacey's forgetting everything. <laughs> Spider-Man, you know, Spider-Man, Spider-Man confronts Daredevil on, like, a rooftop and, like, you know, says, Why? Why did you steal the kingpin from me? And then Daredevil punches him in the face, kicks him in the skull, and says, I don't know. Why did you write a letter to my law office saying that you knew I was Daredevil and wouldn't tell everyone? Oh, come on, Matty boy. Can't you take a joke? <laughs> And our issue ends with, um, do you want to make yourself astronaut tough, where they have a workout thing with people, you know, a bunch of men with their shirt off, uh, fishing poles, and uh, the really old guy who wants you to draw, (coughs) Norman Rockwell. NASA, accelerate your life. And that's the end of Amazing Spider-Man 50. It is also the end of episode 38 of Amazing Spider-Man Classics. want to thank you very much for downloading the episode and giving it a listen. Hope you're enjoying these lost episodes from five years ago. Many thanks to Stephen Lacey for all of his contributions to this episode from all the various recording sessions, as well as to Josh and Don for going a bit above and beyond for this particular episode. Um, future episodes will continue to finish out through episode 15, through uh, issue, rather, 52 of Amazing Spider-Man before we go to an email episode and then to brand new episodes of the brand new panel. If you would like to contact the show, you may do so by writing AmazingSpiderManClassics at gmail.com. You can also go to the Facebook page, facebook.com slash AmazingSpiderMan, or you can also follow us on Twitter at ASMClassics. Until next time, on behalf of Josh Bertoni and Donovan Grant, my name is John Wilson. Thank you very much for listening to Amazing Spider-Man Classics in association with SpiderManCrawlspace.com. Good night. going to get cleverly edited <laughs> but in the meantime we've got the kingpin aka wilson big boned fisk popping up making his first appearance I'm not bad. I'm big bone. 
Exactly. Oh, we should do the Carbon voice for Wilsh and Fizz because there's no way we can pull off uh, Roscoe <laughs> Brown. This is the moment we've been waiting for. With Spider-Man gone, my pants cannot reach fruition. <laughs> Oh, just one sec then, because I've got to go. Do, do, do. <laughs> Tell boys, what's, what's... I spend the word. <laughs> I'm done. That's why I'm the kingpin. Beefcake. Oh, shit, where is it? Where is it? Where is it? What are you doing? I was looking for that bit from Born Again, where it's like a man without fear is <laughs> to doing the Cartman voice. Oh. <laughs> A man without hope is a man without fear. That's the one. Thank you. And I, I have shown him. (laughs) My livelihood. (laughs) All jeopardized by the sudden appearance. I can't do a Cartman voice as well. By the sudden appearance (laughs) of this. How can I run my... uh, (laughs) It's so hard to do that in the Cartman voice, especially especially that moment. But you do, Osborne. If you fail, I get your company. The debt will be paid in full by tomorrow. <laughs> uh, a thought occurs to me. Either Spider-Man is destroyed or you get Oscorp. Whatever happens, you win. That's why I'm the kingpin. <laughs> so I, I couldn't just go for, yeah, whoa, I'm the kingpin, bitch. So speaking <laughs> of the bottom of page 10. Yeah. First appearance of the kingpin, and it's an ass shot. Um, it's out on the street. Oh, no, sorry, I can't read. Patch? Yes, Patch, that's him. That's the one. Sorry, I was having... Anytime I see Patch, I think of Wolverine. <laughs> He's a much cooler Patch. He is. Jonah's so surprised that, like, the cigar jumps out of his mouth. Oh, no, like... it's, it's not... It's, that's, no, 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 there's a much better way of reading it. Just look oh. at the positioning of Peter peering and grinning and leering over Jonah's shoulder and the fact that you don't see his left hand. <laughs> it's anal fisting. <laughs> oh, I thought he was going to give him a scratch on the back. Parker! It, it, it's, just, it's just using a finger. It's not a whole fist thing. That'd, that'd be wrong. Hey, Parker, why is your hand covered in butter? Oh, oh. Lord. <laughs> oh, oh. Whoa! Oh. Come on, Jonah, I'm going to show you where they call it Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil but you, but uh, I've been betrayed, stabbed in the butt. <laughs> <laughs> it says stand in the back, just for the listeners, but yeah. Oh, dear. I'm going to give you a dose of web fluid all over your face. Oh, God. That's what he does, regularly. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Not my fault you have sick minds. Which I'm sure we're going to do. Yeah, um, so I can continue. Um, anyway, some enterprising young wickersnappers. Quickly, what's that? We've already done this. It exists. Guys, I think it's time to time travel. Back five years. <laughs> the, new 50, the new 52. Look. A bunch of Marvel films. Going. Yeah, it, it's undoing. Look at DC sales rise and rise and rise. And fall and fall and fall. <laughs> Uh, Spider-Man being rebooted again? Look at all those great creators coming back to Marvel. Hickman, Gillen, um, no, Jason Aaron's still there. Uh, Brubaker, they're all leaving Image and coming back to Marvel. Slot still writing Spidey. Oh, fuck. 